Hello. That's that lady. <sighs> Man. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. I gave it. <laughs> I gave. I gave it. I gave it a full fifteen minutes, and I said, "You know what? I got to come back to this." It's <laughs> <laughs> not that long. I think. <laughs> no, it's really short. It's like let, we're talking about the movie "Sound of My Voice," featuring the inimitable Brit Marling, who's snorting oxygen in my profile photo right now. Or is it oxygen? Did you hear? Supposedly, in an interview, David Lynch was asked what it was that Frank was inhaling in Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. You ever heard this story? I have not. And he pauses a minute. <laughs> he goes, something that makes him do very, very bad things. <laughs> very insightful. Uh, um, yeah, so sound of my voice. Um, which, by the way, as we record this on meh, 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 February 28th, is on sale for four ninety nine. Check the Twitter feed. If you mm-hmm. wanted to tune in for the Brit Marling episode, you should have called in during the dog grandparents episode. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> I started watching it. Very intriguing. Nice, you know, in media res opening. I'm not going to spoil it at all, but uh, I can tell it looks like a very interesting movie. Uh, <laughs> I just was like, you know what? I'm not ready for this tonight. I I, I, I knew I wasn't even going to make it halfway. I was like, you know what? I, I, I can tell this is going to be really weird and probably a little bit of a slog so not that much of a slog but it is uh it is slow but okay so now i have seen two (laughs) this is how dumb i am i've now seen two media properties by Bryn marling and a thought went through my head though i wonder if everything she ever Mm -hmm. makes when Valve, her sitting on the floor in a room and making people listen to her talk gibberish. Well, that's why you're starting to get the idea why I why I went down this rat hole. Okay, so she's got a like a light motif, huh? I don't know if that's really it, but there is a thing. There's something. There's there. something there. There's something there. There's some. There's some kind of through line and connection. And and the East is a much more conventional movie. But even there, it's more like a thriller, like a thriller, kind of. But there's, but there's something yeah. there about communication, authenticity. Uh, I get a vibe about what I could only call, think to call female power. Uh, I, I don't I haven't quite gotten my head around it, but there's something. Yeah, she yeah, would make I mean, a good spy. Like the, in, I, in a spy know, movie. I, I have never I've never seen any any uh, interviews with the actor only seen her playing roles in movies but all the characters she plays i think those characters would be good spies yeah i guess i'm not ready to talk about the oa tonight but hey listen thank you to everybody out there i I don't know john will have to vet the numbers for me a tremendous tremendous number of people saying almost double digits really thank you almost double digits of people who would like us to talk about the oa and just watching the first 10 or 15 minutes of this movie does make me want to watch the oa again i don't know if i can go through the whole thing but i'll I feel like don't, I can jump in. Don't watch the OA. Just watch this damn movie. Really? Just watch it. I feel like I should go through and watch like episode. I think episode three is where it takes, if memory serves, is where it takes the big turn. End of two into three, I think. Episode one is where it takes the big turn as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's what you sold me on initially was like, you might think this is really weird, but at least watch this first one. But um, I'll, I might go and pick around and then uh, ugh, watch the last episode. 
But there's a there's something at the heart of the OA that I get the sense is at the heart of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which, apart from a, a, a beautiful blonde woman sitting on the floor, there also seems to be this like, hmm, what what is really happening here? Yeah, and for all the people who uh, who voted for the OA and said they wanted to hear about it, we would have talked about it tonight, but Merlin said no. So. Oh wow! Wow. Okay. I'll talk, and, and and I find that inexplicable because you've already watched all of the OA and I've already watched all of it. So why can't we talk about it? But you're not ready. The worst part about being you is that you will never get the peculiar opportunity to have to deal with yourself. Won't I? Won't have to deal with my, myself my whole life. Wherever I go, there I am. Oh, John's carrying the suitcase with John in it, and John is the suitcase yeah. that he is carrying with him in it. I also have children, the ultimate revenge. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah. Um, okay, smartass. Uh, I will talk about the OA. So here's the thing. No, You're no, we're not, we're not doing it this week. Oh, it, come on. What are you doing? First of all, if we did, it would be in the spoiler slot, as you know. It'll go in the spoiler, spoiler spot. We'll get it's it. hard to say, isn't it? We can put it in the spoiler slot. Yeah. And I would be fine with that. I, I just, like, when I deal with you, I have so much trouble just keeping up with just the, the basic conversation with you. I know that I have to, I feel like, you know what I mean? What am I, what am I a crammer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a crammer. I cram. You are. I'm just like that scene they cut out of the trailer. I cram. Now you, now so, you cram on your own because you want to hide your cramming from me. Right? I'm a it's side like, crammer. It's like, like a, yeah. the dog hiding its limp. <laughs> um, I would. I, okay, if you want to put it in the in the in the smaller spot, we have we have a rival for this week in the spoiler slot. So, oh, okay. So, did you already do the list? I couldn't tell. You didn't really move anything. I, I fiddled. I I wiggled. Hmm. All right. Should I watch Arrival again? It's, it's no, already, no, we're uh, going to do Arrival in the spoiler slot tonight. Spoiler slot, that's kind of hard to say. It is. It's like get, you know? It's hard to say. Get. <laughs> what you don't get about yourself is that you're a version control system with a terrible user interface. <laughs> do you use that tower app? Uh, you do everything in the command line, I bet. No, I've tried a bunch of the GUIs sometimes. Towers seem good. I. I don't know. None of them are good enough that I feel like I could spend lots of time in them, and I, I want another command line anyway, despite the insane options, so I mostly use the command line. I'll never be able to succeed with Git, primarily because I still can't get my head around what should be push in my head is pull, and what should be pull in my head is push. I find that very confusing. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a mess. So a pull request is when you've updated some Firefoxes, and then you want to you smoosh that over to, to the Git uh, server, right? That's a, that's that's called a pull. Is when you say, "Look, I I updated the Firefoxes, get that into the thing." And then you say, "Do you agree? Do you agree? <laughs> I accept your is, Firefoxes." This has come up a lot in your life. Is, is there a reason you you feel like you need to to to, uh, to have mastery over this? Uh, it has come up. There was a time when the Git was getting popular. <laughs> Gonna get where the getting's good. <laughs> Gotta be one of those nights. Um, I didn't have Chinese food tonight. I've had two. I had two kombuchas and uh, and a very interesting sandwich. I don't know what that is. What's a kombucha? Kombucha is a. You should be listening to my other podcast. Do by Friday. Kombucha. You got too many damn podcasts. There no, I, I don't. It. I have the perfect number of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's it's a it's a fermented tea. Fermented uh, tea. Fermented tea with many probiotics in it. Oh, that doesn't Makes sound str- good strong at all. like bull. No. Mm. I don't you think should I see like... how they make it. Go Google it. Go Google it. Look at the look at the big the big thing oh. they put in the tea. It's crazy. How do you spell it? 
K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A. Yeah, I remember that jingle from the 70s, yeah. <laughs> B-A-N-A-N-A. <laughs> That's how I learned to uh, spell banana was from oh, Charles Nelson Riley. It, it just looks like tea. Yeah, yeah, but look at the thing they put in it. They put this big thing in that looks like a squid. Yeah, I see I see one picture with the thing, but I see a bunch of other yeah. pictures that just look like tea. You don't want to make that at home. People say you make it at home. I, I, I just get it from Walmart. I don't think I like anything fermented. Do I like anything fermented? You know, it grew on me. It's a very, mm, uh, yeah. not umami exactly, literally, literally probiotically, it grew on me. What is, what's in it? What is the thing? Uh, the thing is, it's a kind of tea that's then fermented and the probiotics grow and you get, the, it's called a living beverage. And well, it has a very, very no tiny amount, <laughs> tiny, a very tiny amount of alcohol and a small amount of caffeine, and it makes you strong like bull. Also, yeah, it yeah, uh, cures cancer. I, mm-hmm. I read. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. <laughs> so I'm taking it as a they call it prophylactic. <sighs> All that smoking. Um. So uh, there was a time. There's there will be these ocurrent. Uh, things in my uh, technical, you know, terror dome, where I feel like I got, I got to learn about this thing. I need to, I need to get a little bit of catalog on this thing. And uh, so I thought, I thought Git is a thing I should probably learn a little bit. But I found it extremely confusing, and I spent most of my time just like moving around the same text file and being really confused. So when somebody's put, so when somebody smushes Firefoxes into the hub. Does somebody then have to go? So you have what? You have like a like a red leader looks at that and says, "I accept the Firefox," or I don't. Or do you, do you send it back with red red X's on it and say you got to fix these things before I smush this into the Firefox? Like if you're running the project, open always wins. But how do you make sure you don't get nonsense in there? How do you make sure somebody doesn't put their uh, put their MySQL password in? Or they something? can't stick their stuff into your uh, your branch unless mm-hmm. you pull it in because that you know like it's. It's not as if you're accidentally, you're accidentally going to get other people's code all of a sudden landing in your thing. They the, the pull request is, please, would you like to pull this from me to you? And then you can say yes or no. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I should learn that. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they run their whole they run their websites on 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 the Git. Mm-hmm. You know, you write on it and you 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 push it push it to production, as they say, or pull it to production. You request it to be pulled to production. <laughs> Is that how that works? No. And then every, everybody gets Firefoxes. So uh, I would talk about the the, the smaller smot. Uh, that's fine. What else was I going to do? You got uh, you got your mini topic there. Yeah, like I mean, this is going to be really quick. I'm, I I I think you can talk me out of this. I I I've been looking at this same laptop for a few days, and I want you to talk me out of it. I'll send it to you. What's what what thing is what robot is best? That doesn't matter. All right. Well, some people get very, you know, weird. I said, John, yeah. John Roderick doesn't the, even realize. The other John is, is very sensitive to... Uh, he doesn't understand that there's like a, a chat area inside of Skype. He, does, he gets very confused about to it. To the, the eel avenues. You curious why we didn't have an episode this week? He's in Alaska. Yeah, he's in Alaska. He didn't tell me he was in Alaska. He's, he's, he's going he's sledding with his daughter and... Uh, okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Now I know. Now Instagram. I know. Follow him on Instagram. He's doing all sorts of stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't have Instagrams. No, you said you're like my parents sending me URLs that they think that I can see, but only they can see. Oh. Your shopping cart is empty. You can't tell me a shopping cart URL. I can't see what's in your shopping cart. Okay, I'm clicking. Shopping cart.aspx question mark submit equals change item. That's John, it's an active server page. You should be able to get to it from anywhere. Uh huh. So the fact that this is on Newegg is already scary. Why does that bother you? I knew you were going to say that. I knew this would be the first goddamn thing. What is wrong with me looking at Newegg? I thought you were going to send me a link to a PC laptop. I didn't even know they sold Macs. Yeah. All right. Um, 
but 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 why do you, why do you think you need a laptop? Period. The laptop. So I have a iMac that I love at work that I got. You tell me what uh, August before what, last. What did you do with your your uh, old Mac? Cheese grater. Yeah. It's still here. You've seen the photos of it. The the, the uh, no, doors. nothing ever leaves. Yeah, <laughs> the door still. Can, you can check out anytime you like. I put my <laughs> I put my seltzer cans in there. <laughs> this is a family of raccoons living in it now. It's fine. <laughs> um, this is not, I mean, just as an aside. This does not seem like a sustainable system. Which one? Where you where you buy computers but then never remove them? <laughs> I need them for my work. Yeah, your business papers. I know my business papers. So, anyways, um, so I love my iMac. I have a 5K iMac that's relatively recent. I mean, it's just it's fast as snot, and I love it. It's great. It's fantastic. Uh, I don't really need this. Is one reason I should be talked out of it. What I have at home. Back when I was my failed attempt to write a book, uh, on my birthday in 2010, I treated myself to a MacBook Air that I adore. I, it's such a great Mac. I love it. It's so great. It was like it's like the fastest Mac I've ever used. It was one I think it was my first like built-in full-time SSD. And you know what that's like the first time you get the solid state drive. But you know, it's the battery as you can guess on a 6 years and change computer. The battery is I mean, I, I do when I'm at home and I have to do stuff. So what I'm trying to get at here is when I'm at home and I have to do stuff, I frequently can do f- just fine using screens to like get in to my work computer and like do a thing, like reboot my cherry pie or whatever. Like I can do that. That's no big You're deal. using screens on your iPad to get to your 5K? I'm running them on the Mac and on my iPad. Yeah, and I use screens on the iPad Pro. 9.7 to get to work and that works okay but there's there are actually times when like you know i don't really have to go into the office today except to go do this one thing where i want like to type on a on a keyboard and I, yeah you can do that with the ipad i know i know email my curly but uh i want to i want to try the touch bar you know and i want a fast new computer i don't really need this it's kind of expensive what do you think so this is 16 gigs, uh, 512 is the biggest drive they sell. I think I'd be fine with that. Tell me why I shouldn't get this. So I think uh, it, you should either get the cheapest MacBook One that is sold now or wait until the KB Lake versions of these come out and hope that they are more reasonably priced and have, you know, better stuff. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the price is, you know, because the price is, is always... bananas for this. It's not, it does seem really high. Yeah, it's especially because I think from in the situation you're in, we're like, well, I'm at home. My main big fancy computer is in the office, but sometimes I just want to do like the MacBook One. I think will just be a better experience. What's the, that's not the you, only name I know it as. What's it really called? It's just the it's Mac called the MacBook, the current MacBook. Yeah, the super duper skinny one with only one port on it, just because it is so small and so light, and the screen is so much better than your MacBook Air screen, oh, and I know. it's I know. like. In the same way that the air was life changing and how small it is, this is life changing and how small it is. And Jiminy, should, these are cheap. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I don't think you're doing anything with it nope. that uh, that will make you think like, oh, I can't do it on this skinny little wimpy because it is slower. I can't do it on this skinny little wimpy computer. Like you're not. You're just like browsing the web and checking email and typing crap. It will be fine. 
Well, it might be a lot of the times this sounds really stupid, but like writing show notes for this stupid show we do, which I spend a ridiculous amount of time on for no good reason. And I like to do that on a keyboard without having to go to the office. Yeah. And I think that would be fine on a MacBook one. And, and the MacBook ones will also hopefully get significantly better this year. But I think. Yeah, but for this just, money, that's that's fine. So get, a, the, get the highest, big, biggest uh, drive, most RAM. Like, I don't think there's. Let me look at the specs. I don't think there's much you can do to that machine to make it all yeah. that different. And I don't have that much need for different peripherals at home. At work, that would be a real problem. But <clears throat> I like I like how little it is too. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like you uh, you want something that's gonna like change up your experience, right? Like in the same okay. way that the air changed up of like, oh, I'm you know before I wouldn't want this big heavy hot thing in my lap, but the air crosses over a threshold, and now it's much more pleasant. Okay. Uh, All right, well, I'll spec this too. out and uh, see if I should talk myself out. And of I don't one. even know if you need the big SSD. So I'm saying, like, try to get out of this with for as little money, uh, you know, as little money as possible. Because you just no, this maybe is just make like, a little game. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's it's a it's just a, a, a the cheapest possible way you can have a real live Mac that you can do typing crap on. Yeah. Okay. Or, or like I said, wait. If you want the big fancy one, fine. But like, but don't no, don't no. buy that one. All right, okay, all right. Well, maybe next time or or soon, you can talk me out of uh, getting this too. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's nice to get a new Mac. I, I man, I, you know, you just you know, got a new Mac. You just got the five K. I got it like a year and a half ago. Oh, poor baby. Oh, listen to you. Yeah, with my you, uh, with my, I, I, I gotta go. I should really just go for ten years with this guy next to me here. It's so close. You should now. get. They'll, they'll give you a gold watch uh, or a space gray watch. <laughs> I'll, I'll get. A, I'll get the, uh, the. You know, if you if you have a compressed dust enough, it makes kind of like a dust diamond. So I feel like <laughs> I should be able to harvest that or a dust pearl, maybe. It's harvest like Bitcoin that. mining, except for dust. Yeah, harvest that from the inside of my computer and make a nice like a uh, charm bracelet or something. Oh, you should see mine. Oh, it is dusty. It is really, really dusty. It's a very, it was, you know, it's a very dusty city here to begin with. Plus, I, I, Plus I don't the dander, dust. yeah, right. And the dander, mm-hmm. a lot of that skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that also doesn't dander. leave. No. Nope. <laughs> how, how often have you, well, I should, do you have a vacuum in the office? <laughs> <laughs> no, John, I don't have a vacuum. How often office. have you brought a vacuum to the office to Three use? times. How many? Three times. I've only been here, I've only been here eight years. And how many times have you brought the vacuum? At least, at least twice, probably three times. Easy. So two or three times in eight years. Is that a, a, a reasonable vacuuming schedule for a room that you spend this much time in? Uh, it's not anything I've given any thought to. We know I had to tear out my carpeting when there was a flooding incident. Yeah, and that 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 removed about three Merlin's worth of uh, dead skin cells too. So, <laughs> oh, that Dyson boy, woo! It's all right in there. You can just see it all in that in that tube. My wife got a new Dyson today. We got a new Dyson at the house. She got a. Uh, uh, what's it called? It's called the animal. She got an animal. It's called. Mm. Oh, you gotta get that. You gotta get that cat hair up, right? You know, it's not that bad. <laughs> now you get shaving that poor thing so much. Oh, I shaved the crap out of that cat. I, I've been looking at her again. I'm just like, oh, it's your due. You're due for another <laughs> one. Everybody's like, oh, she looks so cold and she looks so little. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's good. You you got to keep her in her place. Get her good and shaved. <laughs> you got to keep her looking like one of those. I can never remember this. Do you know? Remember the toy that was like a, a balloon inverted on itself, filled with water. It was shaped like a tube, and you'd grab it, and it would like roll. Oh yeah, I know, and it was like a like a Moebius uh, balloon. Yeah, yeah, and like it would squirt out of your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a name brand for that, but that's your cat, right down to the face. That's that's my cat. She looks like Appa from uh, Avatar a little bit yeah. when she's long haired, except matted, except matted with she gets big knots. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, this is not a show about cat shaving. This is a show about me not buying a computer. Yep. Boy, that's pretty though. Look at that. 
Look at that. Okay. All right. Closing the tab. Thank you for your service. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Casper. Casper is a company that is focused on sleep. Casper has created one perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Casper's award-winning mattress was developed in-house. It has a sleek design, and it is delivered in an impossibly small box. In addition to the mattress, Casper now also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price, so it's no surprise that they've received over 20,000 reviews online with an average of 4.8 stars. Casper's mattress is made of a supportive memory foam. It's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design helps you to regulate your temperature through the night. Casper makes quality mattresses at great prices. They're designed, developed, and assembled in America. They cut the hassle and the cost of dealing with showrooms, and they're passing those savings directly to the consumer. And buying a Casper mattress, it's, it's completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns in the U.S., Canada, and now the U.K. too, with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Because Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering that you're going to spend a third of your life on it. I have recently purchased a second Casper mattress for our house. My daughter now sleeps on a Casper mattress, and she loves it. And she has uh, rescinded her long-standing demand that my wife and I cut our mattress in half so she can have one. She's got her own Casper, and she is loving it. It is really the best with my own money. And right now, you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. And using the offer code diffs, which is also D-I-F-F-S. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Casper for so many great nights sleep and for supporting Reconcilable Differences. You think the first topic's too boring? Ah, I meant I meant to do it last week, but Valentine's Day came and sort of usurped the whole show. It was supposed to be like a continuation of whatever cautious tech optimism topic. Yeah. I think it's still relevant, but at this point, I've heard myself talk about this so much that I want to hear your position on it. Yeah, absolutely. As 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 the as the layperson. <laughs> As a person who's not in, not interested in any aspect of this except the most abstract technological concepts, yeah, as, as like as a non car person, like you I mean you have a car, but it's not like you're into. John cars. and I are going to talk about well, is this the right term? Even self driving cars. That's what I call them. autonomous vehicles. No, I don't call them that. Good for you. So, how did this come up? <clears throat> I think one time this recently came up was you know I'm all I'm all uh, you know how I am I'm all I got that big crush on CGP Gray and I'm always watching his videos and stuff, and I. I think this came up in the context of me saying about how much I enjoy how much I enjoy his video for humans need not apply and how thought provoking I found that to be and I felt like he makes amongst other people he makes an interesting case for saying in in particular that these autonomous vehicles these self-driving cars these are not some Dick Tracy future item that are going to come along and do stuff that like they're here. They are for practical purposes here. They are disrupting things already. And the pace I, I could you stop me anytime, but the pace at which self-driving vehicles will disrupt many aspect, many, many aspects of our culture is going to be uh, quite a case of future shock for a lot of us. 
And you made some kind of a side along the lines of, oh, yeah, well, I'm not so sure about that. Let's talk about self-driving cars sometime. Is that where we can't cut this from? Kind of. Um, but, like, just, you know, so you, you watch these videos. You hear other people talking about self-driving cars. You yourself are not a, a car enthusiast. You try to avoid driving as much as you can, but you do have a car uh, that sometimes smells like gasoline. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think I think they are an ancient blight, and I'll be glad when the way we look at cars right now is right. Fine. All right. So, so what do you think of self-driving cars? Given all of that, well, like everybody, mostly a few years ago, when did we first hear about this? Google, right? We first heard about Google doing this stuff, or you, know, you would just hear about these things. Like, hey, it won't be that long before they can come up with an automobile that, within certain constraints, a certain environment, without doing any changes to the road, would be able to mostly be able to drive itself. And, of course, you know, this is what we do. Everybody said, you've got to be kidding me, first of all. There's no way we're anywhere near that technology. And if we did have that technology, no way does it exist in any way that could even potentially be safe in any meaningful way. People flew off the handle. And I was amongst the many people who were like, were at least skeptical, because based on what you heard, it sounded very, uh, it sounded like future porn. And people were, it suddenly became a thing in the way that things and technology become a thing. And I guess, I mean, yeah, you know, the the persuasive power of videos, I guess between seeing, there was a, not the Tesla demonstration, but there was a one time, I don't know, in the last year or two, maybe Google, somebody put out a video basically annotating what a self-driving car sees when it's driving and, you know, showing some footage of it happening. And I was like, this seems a lot further along than I realized once I opened myself up to that. Honestly, I mean, like kidding aside, joking aside, ribbing aside, I actually don't have that strong a feeling about cars except for not being into them myself. I don't begrudge other people their cars. I know people like and need cars. You guys kind of have a podcast about it right now, even though you don't call it that. It's that it really does occur to me that in particular enclosed environments, uh, obviously, this seems extremely doable. And for things like trucking and transportation, it just seems like the amount of money companies could save with this and potentially the safety improvements they could make. The It just seems like as soon as I opened my mind to it, it was I was not thinking about George Jetson reading the paper while his car drives around. I was thinking about, oh, forget it. You know, <laughs> I don't want to curse on the show, but uh, it's sort of like, you know, you guys at uh, WWDC and everybody has the oh shit moment, like oh shit, Instapaper or <laughs> whatever. It's like, oh S-H-I-T for the trucking industry and maybe taxi. So that's where I am. Where I am with it is like, I didn't see the technology. I, now I understand how far, I feel like I'm understanding more about where the technology has gotten to. But more importantly for me now, now I see that there will be, the crucible for this will be the amount of potential savings and improvements where business will take this seriously before anything else. And so now setting aside for a moment that the personal car stuff, it just seems like a no brainer to as quickly as possible, figure out how to get these things on the road um, without having to make too many changes. So that's where I am. So you're thinking of it from the perspective of how it will change the way people live and, you know, how employment and industries that currently rely on humans. I do, I do, I do, I do do think about that, but I mean, like I've talked to Roderick about this a lot when he's, when we talk about like the future of things and how Seattle's just on the cusp. And I always wonder, like when you're thinking about improvements to roads and like, you got to tear up roads. So like in our case, there's all, they're always tearing up roads. They got to fix old pipes. I'm always wondering, like, is there any potential 
some kind of what I'll just call pipes. Is there something that they should be putting into roads that could make all of this happen faster? Is there? And I don't know what that would be. I'm train not tracks. Put, train tracks. <laughs> It's like Borat asking the guy about trains being hijacked. Um, so, I, no, I mean, my main thing, I guess the main thing is the, the thing that makes this seem real to me is the phrase I learned from you, wood behind the arrow. As, as like an interesting and costly R&D project, it seems like a curiosity. As something that potentially disrupts what I believe to be one of the top one, two, three, four, five employers in the United States, I could see a lot of companies plunging huge huge amounts of money into this because it has a, a, a fairly immediate, for better or for worse, for humanity, for them. I, I think the wood is behind the arrow for this to really happen, and I think it starts with businesses. Have you ever been in a self-driving car? Mm-mm. How would you feel about it? Like, say you you uh, you call a taxi, let's pretend San Francisco has taxis. You call a taxi, mm-hmm. and one shows up, and there's nobody in it. Would you get in? Well, I mean, historically, my guess would be, oh, my God, this is incredibly weird. To a person, everybody that I've heard talk about being in a car says, uh, self-driving car says exactly the same thing. It's incredibly startling for maybe a total of about one minute, and then it just seems like the most normal thing in the world. I bet it would seem pretty weird. I bet it would be pretty perplexing. But everything's perplexing if you think about it enough. I, I bet it wouldn't seem that weird. Are you saying like today? T- today I call a taxi. A taxi shows up with no person in it. Just as a, as a thought experiment, how would I feel about that? Yeah. That would that would seem extremely weird, and like I feel like I should have gotten a, I should, I should have seen a couple of YouTube videos to understand how to do this. It would seem very strange for sure. Yeah, I can imagine it getting used to it pretty easily. But if you think about it, like half the time you get on a train or other any or a bus or any kind of like public transport, like how often do you even you know make eye contact with the driver? Let alone sometimes in a train you're in a different car, you don't even see the driver. For all you know, it's an automated Disney World train, right? That there is no driver, like or those airport those airport trains. Every bus you get on, do you vet the driver and check the equipment? No. You get on the bus and your first thought is like, I wonder what song I'll listen to. Yeah, and you don't that, think about any aspect of how it's happening. And the air trains or whatever, those don't have drivers, right, at the airport? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know it's it's pretty possible. I mean, and you know, again, maybe this was CGP crazy. Yeah, I guess it was. But I mean, there's there's a lot. I've seen a fair amount of footage now of, you know, inside of, you know, places like an Amazon fulfillment facility where there's just a, apparently an increasingly large number of automated vehicles that are functioning just fine but no to answer your question like as a consumer as a user yeah i'm sure i'm sure that would be some serious future shock if they just pulled up and now tech wise how much do you buy the the optimistic takes on self-driving cars in terms of what they're going to be able to do and when it was there's a lot of you'll see a lot of it you know anybody who's remotely involved will show you the videos watch this look how amazing it is and you know all that stuff like all those videos are are promising. Rarely shot, rarely shot in Manhattan. Well, it doesn't matter, but they're promising <laughs> you something. And they're saying, you know, we are on the cusp. Look at look what we've been able to achieve in a short time. Let's extrapolate and let's be, uh, you know, optimists about the future. And then lots of uh, articles about self-driving cars. They have to, they have to mention, I mean, you did it, but without timelines, like, oh, look at the industries this will disrupt. And yeah. look how it will change the way we live and work and change the economies and make new things possible. And at a certain point, someone's got to throw out some timelines. What do you, what do you think about the timelines? And what do you think about the like the optimistic yeah. take that we're like we're farther along than we thought, and we're we're almost there. It's like it's it's on, it'll be on top of us before you know it. Kind of like smartphones. One day it'll just wake up, and everyone will have one. 
Well, I don't know that much about the actual technology, but based on what I've seen, my gut tells me there's going to be some 80-20 Pareto principle going on here. I, I have a feeling that there are going to be elements of deploying these things where maybe as much as 80% of that work may go fairly well, fairly easy, fairly fast, that there are problems that aren't as hard as we thought. That last 20%, I bet, is going to be super tough. You know, For example, like think about the difference between the most basic one, like the difference between highway driving and city driving. Or like even just like, let's say highway driving, highway driving at, you know, certain well-lit hours. I don't know. I don't even understand all the constraints. But uh, I think there are parts of this that are super far along. But for this to replace, like dependably replace that to a level, replace what we have now in a way that makes people comfortable. Um, for trucks, I'm so bad at this, John. For trucks... I bet we'll see at least experiments in the next two years. I could see it being a pretty big deal in five years. And I, I would be kind of surprised if there were still a lot of truck drivers on highways in 10 years. But there's also then this other piece, they, what do they usually call it, the last mile problem, right? Where you think about whether this goes for transportation or broadband or whatever, like the big pipe that moves the internet signal or the big pipe that you know moves the trucks down the highway. The, the highway part's not hard. It's like what happens when you need to decide where to get off at the off-ramp and there's an, it becomes increasingly complex as you're not just driving on a highway. So, I mean, there's this part of me that wonders if you will see – this is really crazy. But like I could see things happening like a train driver gets into a truck and gets to something that we would recognize as something like a way station, Right. And then that maybe that could be sort of launched onto the highway uh, on its own. And by the same token, it would identify where to pull off into the other thing we would recognize as a rest station. And then somebody takes it the rest of the way through like a city or whatever. I mean, but uh, here's the thing. If that first, if the on-ramp for that is Boston and the off-ramp for that is Portland, you know, well over 90% of that journey is going to be is not going to require somebody scarfing down um, crystal meth to stay awake. Anyway, that's my prediction. I don't know. I don't. I don't have a prediction on when it would. I don't know. It just. It seems like it would, It's going to be so dependent on the area, the geography and locality. Partly because of the kind of people that would use or afford it personally, like for consumers, and also by like where it's amenable to certain kinds of travel, like like somebody like where Marco lives. I, I bet it would be huge. Because people could afford a second car that's self-driving, <laughs> let's be honest, and they are in a place where they could drive around that isn't Manhattan. So, I don't know. I'm talking a lot. So that's my prediction. My prediction is we will see considerable – we will start seeing these around. In the same way that now you just see Google Maps, Apple Maps, Uber app maps, whatever. You just see those cars taking pictures on the street all the time. I think we're going to see self-driving vehicles around pretty often within two years. But they, they'll be mostly still kind of experimental. What do you think? Well, I, we talked about, was it the parameters of the world episode a while back? Like mm -hmm. story of growing up and, and reading things. Uh, very similar kind of uh, techno-optimism uh, about... Uh, like, you know, well, the one example I gave was computers, like what they're going to yeah, be and, like. And AI. I think AI, AI right. was one of your big so, examples. You know, AI was the other side. But one example was computers. Like in the future, computers will be like this and do this amazing thing. And in that respect, uh, 
almost everything I read as a kid massively underestimated the the impact that computers and telecommunications would have in my lifetime, right? Because they would do things mm-hmm. like, you know, you'll be able to, uh, you know, store the recipes on your kitchen computer and, uh, and uh, you know, call long distance for free or whatever. It's like, they, you, you, you missed it. It's not bigger than that. Um, and then AI is the other one. You know, uh, look what we can do in 1981 with this artificial intelligence supercomputer expert system, whatever. In uh, five to ten years, you'll have HAL 9000, right? Yeah. Um, and on a lot of other science topics, medicine topics, whatever, the, the five to ten year promise is very often made. And what there's usually a stand-in for is we have made a lot of surprising progress recently on a problem that we thought was either intractable or didn't know that we could do anything about and look at what we've done. And based on current trends, I'm going to say at some point, not this year, not next year, but sometime in my lifetime, let's say five to 10 years from now, this will be amazing. And that happens with a lot of technologies, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, digital electronics, uh, a lot of computer science stuff, a lot of medicine stuff, a lot of things that are always five to ten years. And they don't want to tell <laughs> you in the next one or two years because that's the time horizon that they can see. And they don't want to say in the next hundred years because then you'll be dead and you won't care. They always want it to be like around the corner, but not so far away that you forget about it. And so they say five to ten years. And most of those things don't happen in five to ten years. They take much, much longer. Sometimes, they, like AI, they're so far out that it's almost like we regress and people won't even talk about it anymore. It's like a, it's like a taboo subject. Like the best we'll talk about is like, you know, mm-hmm. computers will win it. Ed kind, kind of like VR. VR was always like just around the corner, like for like. Since oh the yeah, no, yeah. As soon as, as soon as the first was like, yeah, in five to ten years, like it, you know, we'll it will all be living in VR, and just look how long it's taken. And it's not for lack of tech progress, because the progress for the underlying tech has made, strides has made has been tremendous. But there are so many other problems, and it always takes much longer than you think. But AI is, is one of the best examples, and I think it's relevant to self-driving cars because. Nope. Like they talk about uh, winning Jeopardy and uh, playing Go and, you know, Go is a a parlor trick and the way Watson wins Jeopardy is practically a parlor trick too. Nobody's like, I'm going to have like a computer that I talk to like my friend, like in the movie Her or HAL 9000 or whatever. Like nobody even talks about that anymore because they realize we can't even make uh, a freaking computer cockroach practically. Like barely, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're not even sure that it's as good as a real cockroach. Uh and you know, so it's just we're only interested at this point. Like, well, why do we want to make another apparently conscious entity anyway? Why can't we just make something that does a thing that humans are bad at way better than we do? Uh, isn't that a useful thing? Like speech recognition, which also was five to ten years away when I was a kid, and took you know twenty twenty years instead, twenty or thirty years instead of five to ten, but. <laughs> I would sit you know. there for hours talking to my quadra, just like begging it to, to do anything. Yeah, and, and now you can talk to your little handheld phone, and it is amazing at transcribing what you did. But it is not, you know, it's not. It doesn't do that because it is an artificial intelligence. It, you know, speech recognition that very narrow problem we are really good at. But it, boy, it took a lot longer than people thought it would. A lot, a lot. I mean, up within, the, you know, the past 
even five or ten years, it used to be that that you ha- would have to train speech recognition on your voice. Like I remember training Dragon Dictate so I could do my uh, Mac OS ten reviews. The mm-hmm. idea of someone going through that routine with their phone to train it to understand them is ridiculous. In the age of Siri, you just you know demand that it should just understand you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so self driving cars are one of those technologies. I feel like where we have made to the outside observer very rapid progress or have progressed across a line when no one was noticing that people say oh my goodness i didn't even know this was a glimmer in anyone's eye and we're practically there if current trends continue in five to ten years self-driving cars will be routine um and it's like is this is this like speech recognition where it is a very confined problem uh, that we will be able to solve and maybe it'll take longer than we thought but when it's done it will become boring because at this point like speaking and having it transcribe your text even though it's you know it can obviously get a lot better uh but it's miraculously good compared to where it was only a few years ago but it didn't it, you know the first five to ten year article was 20 to 30 years ago probably longer and even now if you think about if i think mentally about the curve of improvement if you break down how do I put this? If you separate dictation from functionality, the the curve on or the line, the trend line on dictation accuracy just goes up and up and up and up and up. Well, I feel like the slog of um, that functionality working and doing what you want based on hearing you is still like this last week has been farcical. Not, without going into too much, I've been trying to spend one day a week every week trying to mostly use voice for stuff uh, as an experiment. And it, just at getting it and trying to get this stupid effing thing to work with Todoist. I've been playing with Todoist. And like it it gets so confused when you use words like list or it just it just it just mm-hmm. completely falls apart. It hears me flawlessly but has no idea what the what I want to do with what it just said. So you know what I mean? Like and I'm I'm setting this up. I'm setting up my own little volleyball here because I think it is important to like sometimes we move the goalposts and sometimes the goalposts get moved for us. I want to come back to that. But in that case, the dictation part, who would have guessed that dictation would become this good this fast? Whereas, you know, it's still having a heck of a time figuring out, you know, what list to put this thing on. I feel like dictation got better way slower than everybody said. Because as soon as the computers could transcribe anything, they're like, oh, well, you know, five to ten years, this will be, we'll be talking to everything in our life. And that was not true. It was off by uh, but see, many the, the, the talking, it's one thing to talk to it, and it's another thing for it to hear it, and it's still another thing for it to know right, what right. to do but I'm just saying, like, understands even, what you said. Even for the boring thing, even for the yeah. simple, straightforward, playing a game of chess, you know, type of thing of just uh, transcribing it to text, even that took way longer than we thought. And the other side of it, of making sense of it, like that gets back into the whole AI problem that people don't even talk about anymore because it's so so far-fetched and we're so far from it that people don't even want to discuss it, right? Nobody looks at, like, even when, you know, Watson was making the news by winning Jeopardy, nobody looks at that and says, and in five to ten years, we'll have a personal companion that sounds like Scarlett Johansson running on our phones. Nobody said that. Nobody did the five to ten years for that because they're like, they know, they they understand how far away from that they are. Now, self-driving cars... The question is, are self-driving cars speech-to-text, or are self-driving cars uh, strong artificial intelligence? Well, yeah, this is, this is the volleyball I was trying to set up. I mean, let's, let's look at AI for just a quick second. Um, uh, how can I put this? It doesn't sound crazy. Um, one of the things, I'll just call it a mental model. Like, we have a mental model about things. And so when somebody comes along, like you think about what a robot is. 
sorry, wrong guy to bring this up with. I've done but you that. think about the idea of what a, what a robot is, and there was a time perhaps where they would say, okay, you've created this automaton that is able to execute commands and function with this level of independence and do stuff like, you know, easy-ish stuff, also like the surprisingly hard stuff, like pouring uh, pouring a glass of water or opening a doorknob, these kinds of things that are so much harder than people realize. Well, maybe our problem is that we're cleft to this idea that a robot is a mechanical man. Like, what if we thought about that differently? And so I think it took a pretty long time to undo our idea that Robbie the Robot is like what the future looks like. Well, no, let's stop trying to think of this as a way to emulate um, human functionality and human... I mean, you even look at stuff like the problem of locomotion and how you can improve the way this machine moves by not trying to make it a biped. You've seen those, I'm sure you've seen those things where like in MIT where they get these like four or six legged things that can like run up a hill because their center of gravity is not based on trying to emulate a human. So to me, that's a pretty good example of like, well, you know, we need to get out of our old idea. I'm going somewhere with this. The next one is, is, is AI. Well, what is the idea behind AI? What's the whole like kind of Turing notion is like, could this fool a person into thinking that it's a person? Well, what if we're, what if we're doing something that's more about the intelligence part than the artificial part? Like, what if we're not actually trying to make a fake person again? It just, it seems like it takes us so long to unwind our idea that like everything we do is in our image. And so now like, we can move forward more aggressively with that. This is just in my own head because now we've gotten rid of that. Now, back to the point. Well, maybe to paraphrase CGP Grey, calling this a self-driving car, that kind of misses the point. I mean, you know, what if what if we eventually look back at the 100 years that it required a person to conduct around this vehicle that probably should have worked on its own all along? Like, it's our mental model of dad pulling the car into the garage in 1956 that constrains our imagination about this. Like, what if we undid that model, set aside the consumer stuff, consumer adoption? Like, if we get rid of this this overriding, overbearing mental model of saying like, oh, yeah, well, I'm not even going to think about that because it's not going to be like the car my dad drove around in. I feel like that's that's one of the biggest hurdles is getting past, in the consumer's mind, getting past this idea that this is meant to exactly emulate and then improve upon something that already exists when you may actually be talking about something completely different. I think we can get over the consumer on if you just make the products good enough um, because people are lazy and want things done for them. And why, you know, why wouldn't you let someone else drive? Like uh, the same way that you, like, you don't think about the driver of the bus or the train that you're on, people will gladly not think about the driver of the car they get into. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, and then you don't have to make, you know, small chat, uh, small talk with the cabbie, right? So it's all yeah. it's wins all around. <laughs> win-win <laughs> right um so for self-driving stuff like there there is early precedent for this what was it? i think the darpa challenge or something like that many years ago maybe in the 80s or 90s where they would the government program it said uh you know you have to get from point a to point b you have to take a vehicle from point a to point b with no driver right that that was it mm-hmm. and it was just like you do whatever that was you the want. only that was the only constraint yeah and it was like in a desert and people would bring like you know trucks and SUVs with all sorts of computers and crap on them and you know couldn't be remote controlled you just had to set this thing up and you had to have it go and you should go back as another one of the things you probably find Nova episodes on from you know a couple decades ago what's called DARPA the DARPA challenge okay I think that was what it was called and you watch some of these early contests and these DARPA vehicles, grand challenge yeah these vehicles are are terrible I mean I'm, I'm maybe it's still going on but like I'm saying like the first the first one or two years they did it comically bad like <laughs> just 
A vehicle is going super slow, getting easily confused, being paralyzed, like just incredibly bad performance. But even then, people would look at these and say, well, this is the first time we're trying this. But, you know, if you watch from the first year to the second year and we extrapolate, nobody will be driving in the year 2000 right? <laughs> or whatever. Uh, yeah. But people weren't that breathless about it. But it was it was one of those things. It basically, uh, anything that involves transistors because of Moore's law and because of the advancement of that whole, you know, thing. Everyone wants everything to follow that same curve. It's like, well, everything we've got sucks now. Let's follow this curve. And you can see where we're going to be. And self-driving cars are in, I think, a, a weird, uncomfortable spot between being speech-to-text, which seems like something you'd have to have human-level intelligence to do, but isn't, because we can make computers do it, right? We can we can make computers that don't think like humans, like right? the same reason airplanes don't have flapping wings, right? You know, like you were getting at before, to stop trying to say the only thing they can understand text and transcribe it as a human. Therefore, to do this task, I have to make a human. No, you don't. You can make a bunch of clever al- algorithms and heuristics. I mean, it's, it's almost like thinking you need to, like, attach an electronic ear to your computer. It's like, well, no, you're, you're being too on the nose about how this would work. Right. Like, it's your, yeah, it's, it is a, you just need to solve this one confined problem. And for, for the consumer angle, I was thinking of, like, elevators with elevator operators. Um, where you'd get mm-hmm. into the elevator and a human being would open the doors, close the doors, and go from floor to floor. Um, at people, you know, they got rid of those. I'm sure people were bothered by the lack of a person there, but... It, it, but they it, used to be really dangerous. It passes in a flash. People used to lose the, lose arms all the time in it, elevators. And, well, and now it passes in a flash, and now it's like, you know, the, the our, our regular elevators don't have people in them, and they're safer, and there's a bunch of passive safety mechanisms, and nobody is these days pining for the return of the elevator operator. And in yeah. the same way, when we get over that hurdle with cars, assuming we do in our lifetimes, nobody's going to be like, I mean, there'll, there'll be some romanticism about it, I suppose, but regular people who are not, quote unquote, into cars, you know, that, that, will, that will fade from view. Um, well, it's going to be like this Red Barchetta type. So you, you ever a Rush fan? No, not really. I know, I know that. I, 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 I caught the reference. Yeah. And we're like, oh, you know, there's some kind of dystopian future where cars are, are banned or something like that. Like, I, I don't see that happening. It's going to be market forces that change a lot of it. Yeah. Well, but, so like, what's the what's the part where that made you raise your eyebrow about right, this? It's well, mainly the, how quickly it's going to happen? No, because I think I think self-driving cars are less like speech to text and less like elevators than everyone else thinks they are or the most optimistic takes think they are basically um because the problem of driving in the real world on any you know on any road right in a situation where basically where the car doesn't have a steering wheel or pedals anymore right Mm -hmm. uh is really 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 hard um and a series of clever heuristics will get you all sorts of stuff that seems very impressive very quickly Mm-hmm. but it's that last little bit that kills you. And mm-hmm. for people who have to get to and from work, they can't do the thing you described for the trucking thing where a human drives it onto the highway, drops it off, it, it drives 900 miles on the highway, and then a human picks it up and winds it through the city. And that's actually a good example because that last mile, not literally a mile, but that last mm-hmm. little yeah. leg of a, a truck thing is actually, it, like 
maneuvering a, a big truck with the trailer and everything in tight corners and on city streets and even just up and down entrance and exit ramps with an awareness yeah. of where the back of the thing is and you know maneuvering and stuff like that is one of those things that is an extra problem on top of the existing problem because no longer are you driving essentially a little point the rigid point with four wheels but you're driving this chain sometimes this two level chain and try find a place to park that and back it into the 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 but you're not saying it can't be done but it, it is it is a harder part of the problem right so even though sort of basic heuristic self-driving is incredibly useful and he has big economic repercussions and is you know probably better for safety and everything as soon as you get to the 80 percent solution for the elevator operator to disappear for most people to buy cars with no or not to buy cars at all and have all these scenarios where they're shared or whatever with no steering wheel no pedals no yeah. driver at all it has to be it has to be able to do the whole thing and people live in weird places and parking is a pain and that can be alleviated by not having everybody own a car or whatever but like the big you know the big turnover the, the thing that people keep saying in five ten years i always think is much farther off than people think it is because it because the real world is, is complicated it's not an elevator shaft and it is not a, a bunch of sound in a microphone with a constrained pos- you know possibility space right it's more mm-hmm. like what we talked about the problem of like computer vision. What is this a picture of with 99% certainty? This, this pile of noise is, you know, a fish. Right. And by the way, right. someone sent us a cool tweet, um, to a URL. I don't know if I can find it. If I can, we'll put it in the show notes of the opposite scenario where you take a picture of a panda, right. <laughs> and the, and the, the computer looks at it and says 99% certainty. That's a panda. Right. And then you change it in a way that is imperceptible to humans like that you change <laughs> oh, really? the image you change the image in a way that you think wait these these are both the same panda picture but you see like one of them is a little bit weirder or like there's some weird noise change it imperceptibly to a human and the computer is now 99% sure it's an ostrich <laughs> Did you see this tweet this is from Jake listener Jake with the like a uh, red shank a robin a centipede a lesser panda an armadillo <laughs> so, think- It's in the it's in the feed it's in the out responses yeah that's what that's the thing is like it was oppositional anyway what that what those things show you like i said uh, the last time we talked about this is how how differently the computer is working than your brain works which again is not is not a condemnation because that's the whole point of like being able to do useful work without saying we have to recreate an entire human just because you know it doesn't take a human to transcribe speech into text it doesn't take a human to play chess and it doesn't take a human to identify images but if you're going to do it in a different way you are subject to very surprising results very often because it's not working the way you're working. And image recognition is about as open-ended as navigating the real 3D world full of, you know, unpredictable things. Because you never know what's going to be in an image. It could be an image of anything, right? That's why they use them for captures. Which, you know, click on all yeah. the things that are a storefront. We can right, figure right, that right. out. For computers, it's really hard. Um... I think driving in the real world, like anywhere that humans can go, which is the end point of all these things, right? Is more like be able is more like be able to recognize a panda no matter where we put it. And don't think it's an ostrich if we change it imperceptibly and don't think this pattern of random noise is, is a panda, right? Right. And and, and honestly, the, the real three D world full of people and weather and other cars driving and non self driving, I think is more difficult to master than a 2d image right and i think our difficulty of doing image recognition and how long it's taken to get where we are and that 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 you know hill climb to try to get mm-hmm. you know good 
that should be uh, a good, I think that's a closer analogy to say, see how that's been going? That's how self-driving cars are going to go for the big win, for the medium win. So you, know. you just think mostly it is it's a it's a timeline thing. You don't say this isn't going to happen. You're 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 just saying it's going to be longer than people think. Mostly, I and, and again, it's 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 a lot of it is semantics. Like you know, once every single semi on the highway is driverless, you're like, you said this wasn't going to happen, and here it is. No, because I think that actually is a more constrained problem. Semis only need to go to certain places, right? You know, they're not, well, yeah, I mean, like, like the thing that I proposed, uh, that, that actually doesn't seem that crazy, does it? Right, I, no, but I think even that will be a, a, a passing thing because semis really don't need to go to every place. And the places they do need to go to, they can work out the whole, like, here's how you take this double length semi and navigate it so it backs up to the Walmart in the correct way. Because it's not going to every single person's house. It's just going between these you know, the distribution center and these five Walmarts. You're ringing my bell here because I feel like there's a couple, I'm not saying you're doing this, but I feel like there's a couple thinking errors that get that happen a lot. And I think maybe you're doing this a little bit. Um, there's the, there's the two problems are there's the black and white thinking problem which I'm not saying you're doing. But th- there are people who, let's even say the, amongst the consumers, who just reject this out of hand because like, if it isn't perfect, we shouldn't do it. But the other one, and I don't know what thinking error this would be, is the like, well, you know, but you know, just because we haven't made the George Jetson car, does that mean that the project is still a failure? Because I just, I mean, like, for example, okay, what about, what about uh, Amazon facilities with vehicles that move around inside of them that don't have a driver would you count that as a self-driving car yeah like it's that's why i said it's semantics because it's just the question of you're saying it's going to take a long time and like for it to be so pervasive that it seems like self-driving cars are quote-unquote here that's not what i'm talking about like that that will happen not on the timeline people think maybe maybe twice the timeline people give me your high and low give me your high and low estimate on that uh well you have to pick a specific thing but what i'm looking for is true self-driving cars where you get a car without a steering wheel or pedals, right? Well, why don't we say why don't we say um, Boston's a terrible example? Let's say more than fifty percent of the people who drive cars to work in Tampa, Florida, will have a self-driving car. I don't. I don't even want to go to adoption because that requires people to die and stuff and like superstition and crap like that. I'm just going to say like, when can I buy? It? When can I go? When can a single person in the United States go into a store and mm-hmm. buy a car with no steering wheel and pedals that? Uh, does not have any limitations versus a car with steering wheel and pedal, pedals in terms of like okay. you know where it can and can't go, right? Right. Mm-hmm. We can't even buy an electric car that fulfills that requirements at this point. Like an electric car with steering wheel and pedals still has some compromises versus an electric car. Small so hard to get a stick. Just, you know how hard it is to get a no, stick? Not the stick part, but it, it just <laughs> just the range and refueling issue right for 100k you can get one the only problem is you gotta wait a little bit longer to refuel but otherwise it's a phenomenal car but but that's that's an easier problem um that's that's my end point for this and it doesn't mean that oh oh, that's the only thing that counts no that's but that's what i'm looking at and when a lot of people talk about self-driving cars they want to fast forward to that immediately and first of all i think it's not necessary to fast forward to that because you can get tons of bang for your buck way before you do that and i think that will happen probably maybe two to five times longer than people think but it will happen my question mm-hmm. is do we ever get to the finish line no pedals no steering wheel uh no limitations versus a car with them in our lifetime and i think it's conceivable okay. that we don't in our lifetimes get to really that. yes interesting totally, totally conceivable because i think what i'm trying to figure out is how how much can you cheat this right mm-hmm. and again with the image problem 
How You can cheat the image problem like crazy and train neural nets and not quite understand how it's connecting, but if we just give enough training data, it'll figure things out and then, and then it identifies a panda as an ostrich if you move five pixels and it identifies static as a panda and you're like, what the hell is going on? And identifying uh-huh. static as a panda is really bad if you've got a couple tons of metal hurtling along the road, right? And that's 2D. Like, the, the general purpose problem... Like, not that you, ha- again, not that you have to be a human to transcribe speech to text, but I feel like it is a more constrained problem than arbitrary driving. And the other thing I keep bringing up on ATP every time this comes up is, in the meantime, that we are in a very dangerous situation with driver aids, because I think cars that will drive for you but require you to be ready to take over control at a moment's notice are incredibly dangerous. Not because, like, oh, the self-driving is bad or something, but because... That's not right. how human nature works. You can't right. require a human to sit behind the wheel of a car for hours at a time and with and be constantly vigilant and ready to take over at a moment's notice if the I forget what they call it if the but if the self-driving thing disengages, right? That's right. that's not you're just setting up the human for failure. Right? And and I I would much prefer if and and there's a minimum bar, right? So it's like, well, what what about radar cruise control? What about cruise control in general? I I feel like if you still have to steer the car, that is enough to keep you engaged enough that you, you know, that you feel like you're driving the car the whole time. But as soon as you also, you don't have to steer and you don't have to do throttle input, but you also have to be constantly vigilant that anytime the thing goes boop, boop, you have to realize, guess what? The car <laughs> lost the plot and you have to start driving again. Right. That That's not how people work. That is incredibly dangerous situation, and it won't be the fault of the self-driving thing because it's going to be safer than a human when it's working, right? And, you know, we know we're not at the point where it's going to work. We can't remove the steering wheel and pedals because all our current self-driving systems have that mode where they're like, sometimes I'm just not going to be able to figure it out, and it's going to be like, your turn, take over, smart human, right? I mm-hmm. think that's an incredibly dangerous situation, and that, depending on how that goes, could push the stuff back just for stupid BS human political reason because someone's like, oh, this, all these... People died in these high-profile accidents, and even though it's still way safer than humans, it makes a big news story, and people get mad at it. And it won't be the fault of the self-driving tech or even the curve it's long. It'll be totally be the fault of bad product design of deciding we're going to make cars with this feature, right? I would prefer that they, you know, not do that until they can do it for real, even if it's in limited circumstances, on just on certain roads or whatever. Don't offer to, don't offer the general purpose utility, but require people to be constantly vigilant. So that that's kind of like a side tangent or whatever. But yeah, it's funny because like as much as you want to rush to market with that thing that is more doable, uh, it. Uh, I'm not trying to clutch pearls here, but it seems like the downsides of that just killing even a few people or you know damaging property is going to set you so far back in the hearts and minds. Yeah, and it won't statistically. It will still always be better. Like that's it's oh, they'll, they'll win on paper yeah. all the time, but it's it's the type of thing that you know. It, it makes a story in the same way that like automobile accidents I'm sure made stories of the people like ah see if you were on a horse you'd be fine look at all this twisted metal and glass you know before seatbelts and all this other stuff like this these oh, yeah, these cars are going to kill us all right um, although I'm sure more people do die in car accidents than died on horses but um, but anyway the, it's 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 worthwhile um, yeah so with the while while waiting for the the steering wheelless pedalless car. I'm not quite sure how we navigate from where we are till there. I I think we can get a lot of the benefit from just an increase in driver aids, lane keeping, uh, you know, radar collision detection, auto brake application, all the things they've been doing for years and years on cars. Uh-huh. Um, and that needs to trickle down because right now it's mostly on more expensive cars and it is trickling down. Um, that's not self-driving and no one will count that. 
but that's going to save a lot of lives, right? And uh, it's not going to make people feel like they have to do less driving, but that auto braking stuff, I mean, they advertise it all the time, right? But that that's a that's a, a benefit on the level of airbags and seatbelts, right? Where if you're not paying attention for the second for a second, but your car knows you're going to hit something, your car will stop. Um, that's not self-driving. That is definitely within the realm of, you know, Texas speech and, 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 you know, it'll, it, it, it's a great benefit. The self-driving stuff, like, I, I mean, maybe I'm the only person who counts this as the finish line, uh, mm-hmm. of removing the, the wheel and the pedals, but that's the only way you'll know whether you made it. Because if you still got the wheel and the pedals there, it shows that, you know, mm-hmm. you can say, oh, it's only there if the driver wants to drive. But it's going to allow for disengagements. You, you're going to, like, will the car move with someone who's not in the driver's seat? You know, I guess that's the requirement. If you want to keep the, the wheel and the pedals, there can't be someone in the driver's seat because then you're saying there may be situations that we can't figure out, right? And that that shows that you haven't actually solved the problem uh, in, in a general purpose way. And I think that, like, I don't know what the shape of this graph would be, but that you can get mm-hmm. so much benefit, 80, 90, 95% of the benefit, but going that last couple of percent to get 100% self-driving, like go, going, getting over that last ridge is, I think, going to be really, really difficult just because of the variability of the real world. Uh, because we're not talking about trains here. We're not even talking about airplanes. I think there's less variability in airplanes because the sky is bigger and the, the uh, you know, source and destinations are fewer, right? And fixed and well-controlled and already instrumented, right? Roads are everywhere. There's lots of different places to go. There's weather. There's potholes. There's other people, there's other non-self-driving yeah. cars, there are other humans screwing things up. It is an extremely hard problem. It's kind of one of those situations where you say, look, if you can solve self-driving cars, it's like the NP-complete thing. If you can solve self-driving cars 100%, <laughs> no steering wheel, no pedals, you can also solve these other problems. I don't know what those other problems are, but like, I think the implications of the ability to do that are actually pretty big. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service that has the freshest ingredients. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Blue Apron Seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Their beef, chicken, and pork all come from responsibly raised animals, and their produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. Each Blue Apron meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Blue Apron is always a big hit in our house. My nine-year-old daughter loves to help with whatever we're making, She enjoys preparing the ingredients. She enjoys helping do the cooking. And it's actually turned out to be a good source of new foods for her, which she is much more willing to try if she has helped to make them. You can choose from a variety of new recipes each week, or you can let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. And no recipes are repeated within a year. You'll be able to cook meals like salmon piccata with orzo and broccoli, vegetable chili, and baked sweet potatoes with crispy tortilla chips, or spicy shrimp coconut curry with cabbage and rice. Yum. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental U.S. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. And their freshness guarantee means that every ingredient arrives ready to cook, or they'll make it right. 
You can check out this week's menu and get three meals free with your first purchase, including that free shipping, by going to blueapron.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Visit blueapron.com slash diffs. Our thanks to Blue Apron for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Well, that wasn't quite as dramatic as I expected. I thought I, I, I thought it was going to be that you were going to kind of poo-poo the whole idea. Well, I mean, I would say, like, take, take the most optimistic takes and multiply them by, you know, two to five. And then for forgetting, for like, the, you know, the, the, the point where everyone thinks we're here, even mm-hmm. though I still don't because I'm waiting for the, the, you know, the one without the steering wheel and pedals. Beware of the in-betweeny stage where it requires the human to take over. And for the 100% case... I'm willing to believe that I won't live to see it. Wow. Mm. I mean, and the other, re- another reason I might not live to see it is that once you get to 95%, no one cares about the last 5%. So they won't even pursue it, right? They'll be like, well, whatever. It can't do everything a regular car could do, but it does so much and does enough. There's no reason to chase after that last 5%. So they won't even be pursued. And that's why I'll never see it. Like, that's another possibility. Because, like, you're getting almost all of the benefit. Right. Yeah, the the drop off at that point. I mean, it, you also think about just in, in consumer products how often even just things you buy at the grocery store. You know, there's the there's a reason that we all we old men kind of go, oh, these things used to be better because they're try, always trying to figure out a way to make cheaper and lighter packaging. They're always going to come up with like little games to like include less product in here. And have you not noticed that? All those kinds of little psychological things. Like there is something to be said for like when people got closer to a hundred percent of good in the past and that the truth is that you can get by with a lot less yeah i mean even if it's something like where it becomes good enough for you know the 95 percent case and all the trucks are automated and you know everyone loves them and it's accepted that you're not gonna have to drive them and they remove the steering wheel and the pedals but uh, there are so many of them on the car kind of like uh, on the road like herd immunity that if any mm-hmm. of them get confused they just pull over to the side of the road and you just like wait and it reboots and figures something out and pulls out again and it's fine. And we're and that's a we had ninety five percent case, right? Um so I guess I should clarify the criteria because if the cars are still doing that, the cars are still like sometimes I'm not gonna be able to figure it out. But I'm good enough to safely like pull over and wait a little bit and try again, right? Or request more telemetry or communicate with the other cars to sort out whatever I was confused about and then resume. Uh for the most part, I mean, humans sometimes do that too, but for the most part, I would say that if any old people like us are still alive, we'll be like, you know, everyone loves these self-driving cars because no one needs to know how to drive anymore. But back when I drove, I would have been able to figure that situation out. And people are like, who cares, Grandpa? Like, it's the, be- <laughs> the benefit is, you know, no one needs to know how to drive anymore, and it's like 9,000% safer than it was before. I don't care that you wouldn't have had to pull over. And and I and the, the car maker is not going to say, boy, I wish our cars never had to pull over because of some arbitrary you know line in the sand that I'm drawing here. Um, but that's what I'm that's what I'm looking at. It's like when when will computers be able to drive better than the best human driver, than the most attentive, most alert, most experienced human driver? Because that is attainable, but that is so much farther than when will people not have to drive anymore? Like I I, th- I really do think I have to amend this because now I've come up with the scenario of like no pedals, no steering wheel, and uh, a human could have done it, right? Because you can take yeah. out the pedal and the steering wheel and and consider yourself done and still. So it's, like, it's yeah. sort of it sort of is like a like an I'm 
stretching this, but an automotive Turing test. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and like, the, what's what's the point in getting there if once every month your car has to pull over for two seconds and you don't even notice because you're reading a magazine? Like, no one will right. care. No one like it won't. That will be a rival for everybody else, so to speak. Speaking of hmm. um, good timing, yeah, and that and people will be like, "Look, we're here." Like, I don't care about this arbitrary difference. So that that could happen in our lifetimes, but I'm still looking to say, you know, I'll be the cranky grandpa and say, if I was driving this car, <laughs> I would not have needed to pull over for two seconds to get more telemetry from the other cars to figure out what's going on here. Because I can see with my own damn eyeballs and my lifetime of driving experience, I know exactly what's going on. I don't and need your I telemetry. Fig- and I could figure it out. Yeah. <sighs> I'm back on the canned, uh, back on the canned seltzer. Go back to your roots. That, uh, I know. You're making it yourself, you're like, you know what? Someone else made this for me and put it in cans. I, 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 I think it. something's changed with the Soda Stream bottles, or something. <laughs> it smells too like bleachy. You got a kombucha. What is that? What it's called? Com- kombucha. <laughs> That's what you got going on in your uh, your Soda Stream. Oh, you know what? I might have a kombucha in there. It's a living drink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rejoice, rejoice. Okay, well, we are moving on to the uh, the Soiler Smot. And we will be discussing the recent, relatively recent movie, Arrival, which I am totally unprepared for, but I'm willing to You're wait. You're unprepared for You watched it probably six times, and you've I been thinking cram. about it and talking about it and tweeting about it, and you're going to come I here and cram. say you're unprepared. I didn't cram. <laughs> I watched it um, I watched it at least twice. Uh, I watched it, yeah, we'll get to that. But uh, so, do we want to sign off at this point? Yes, if you have not seen the movie Arrival. You should see it because it's a good movie and you should stop listening to the podcast now. We will not talk about anything for the rest of the podcast except for Arrival. Probably. Hello and welcome to the Soiler Smot. This is where we talk about... <laughs> Dan, Dan, what is it we do on this podcast? <laughs> Wrong show. Mm. So, I'm totally unprepared for this. Arrival, I think it's 2016, probably? Sure. 2016 movie Arrival, directed by Denis Villeneuve. Awards eligible, as they keep saying on KQED. And so, this is a movie that came along... Well, you, you want to start? Well, I start. think part of the deal with the spoiler slot is that we assume everyone listening has already seen it, so we don't have to summarize the movie because everyone who's listening now has already seen it, right? Okay. And we can only just talk yep. about our reactions to it. And your reaction in particular is that you saw the movie. I don't remember what your initial reaction was, but then I heard that you saw it again, and you're and it changed for you. Second viewing, yeah. you were you felt more more kind about the movie, you felt better about it, and I would like to hear what the deal is with that. Yeah. So. I've mentioned before, and you you give me notes about this, but I, I feel like sometimes I shouldn't even look at the incomparable Slack because people talk so much and have so many opinions, and I find it really overwhelming. And they use words like problematic sometimes. And uh, so everybody was talking about Arrival. Every all the buzz I heard on Arrival, like just in the public sphere, was like this is a really good movie. This is potentially a very special movie. Uh, you know, it's it's smart sci fi. And that the performances are great, it looks great, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess I, I don't know, I started to get a whiff from the Slack that people, some people were like, you know, Snell loved it, I think, if memory serves. And so I don't know, I went into it thinking like, I finally, there was a, finally a copy that fell off the back of a truck. And, um, and I was like, oh, you know, I'll, um, I should, I should watch this. 
And I was really, really, if memory serves, this is what, a month ago, a month and a half ago, whatever it was, I was pretty prepared to really, really, really like this movie. Long story short, it was a little bit of an interstellar thing for me first time around, where it's one of those movies that, what is the phrase? Not Xeno's Paradox. But it was so close, on the first viewing, it was so close to being exactly up my alley that the parts of it that I didn't like made me furious. Not as much as Interstellar, which is a movie that really, really frustrated me. But I came out of it going like, by the end, and I think I probably had some drinks, but by the end, I was like, there were several things about Arrival that I thought were a cop-out. Has Mike played the spoiler horn? Mike, would you please do me a favor and play the very special Arrival edition spoiler horn? So what were those things? What were the things that you found slightly infuriating? We're well inside the zone now. I can just speak freely. That's right. Um, I thought, even on first viewing, because I got a lot more out of it the second time, even on first viewing, of course, I was blown away by the ambitiousness, the bigness, the like, the pacing, so many things about it. And I, you know, I don't want to just do this like quick bullets. We should talk about how great this movie is. Um, but I was really struck by what I felt like were like repeating motifs. Like, did you catch that motif about where you'll see like a, there's a shot up of like the ceiling of something and you, you don't know what it is. At one point it's the school at another point it's the tunnel at the, another point it's her house. And it's like, Oh, it's so this guy, this director knew exactly what he was doing at every turn. Such an assured movie. My problem was because I'm broken inside. Once we got to the end, it smelled a little like Interstellar. And it started to feel like the answer was love. And when I found out that they were a couple, I just threw my hands in the air like I didn't care. I was so effing mad. I was like, why couldn't, you, why couldn't I have had this one? Why couldn't I have had this one not be a turns out? Why couldn't I have had this one? And if it was going to be a turns out, first of all, the turns out they got mm, better on second viewing, uh, actually. But the fact that they ended up as a couple made me so freaking mad. The twist... Before you move on to the twist, why did it make you mad they ended up as a couple? Just for the same dumb social justice dingling reasons anybody else would have. was like, this was such an assured movie in so many ways about a strong female lead that I really, I really felt on first viewing that it really would have hit it out of the park if there'd been some way for her to not. So when first time Hawkeye's on screen, she gets in the chopper. And they have to talk over things. He's, she's, he's reading her thesis or whatever. So I see now, oh, here, here's the guy from that, uh, that, that uh, bomb movie and the Avengers. And my first thought is, oh, geez, I really hope they don't end up as a couple. And then the movie went along. I was like, oh, my God, you know what's going to be such a triumph of this movie is they're totally not going to end up a couple. She's going to get to be the smart science lady, and she's not going to have to have a boyfriend. I understand why it's important to the plot. But still, when that came along, and then that became wound up in the turns out, and the other turns out... So many turns outs in this, but it was really well done. But it just made me mad because I wanted her to just be a science lady. I'm going to try to talk you out of this. Um, so having women not be defined in relation to men, good, great, thumbs up. But requiring them to be ascetic monks who, who are celibate and forego uh, you know, romantic love is a, a bridge too far. In oh, fact, that's boy, one of the arguments a lot of people... Here he comes. It's one of that's one of the arguments people have about the movie Moana, which I disagree with, by the way. But that, like, why why doesn't the uh, 
the non-Caucasian right. uh, uh, female lead get to have uh, a, a romance. Every other, you know, princess, Disney princess gets to have a romance. Why does she not get to have a romance? I, I, I disagree with that uh, as a criticism for several reasons, but uh, we're not talking about Moana today. It's a different show. Um, for this one, I think it, that this particular aspect, I mean, there is there is the law of conservation of characters. We can be like, well, look, it's the other big name actor. <laughs> yeah. And it's the... Did you it, invent you know, that? No, I did not invent that. That's a thing. Okay. Um, and and that's why you're thinking when he comes on stage, <laughs> that's a name actor. And yeah. there's not too many characters in this movie. And the only one who is like age and handsomeness appropriate for our lead is this guy. And so if there's going to be a relationship, it's going to be this guy. And in that respect, I can kind of understand where you're coming from, where it seems like, oh, I see where this is going. And I hope it doesn't go there because it's predictable. And I can get on board with that. But I can't really get on board with the idea, with extrapolating from that to say that she can't be uh, a a character who is her own person and who drives the plot of the movie like that, that as soon as I didn't she, say as soon that as she, I didn't say I know that. you didn't I know you didn't but like you're 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 a really good cop in this hard all I was saying was it, it would have felt and I understand it's important you're missing the deeper point I get that the, it has you to happen it's for the plot for the plot I get it I get it I, and I get the conservation of characters thing but I think that when you go to like I was hoping that she would be a strong female leader who didn't need a romantic relationship she doesn't need a romantic relationship she happens to get one because that's what happens in life and it's a little bit cliche because it's the only other name actor in the movie and you think maybe it's gonna happen maybe it's not gonna but I I give it a total pass because I think it is that it doesn't diminish. It doesn't diminish her arc. As you point out, it is essential for the overall plot of the movie. So yeah. uh, the only, the only uh, uh, whatever I will give in this area is the idea that, you know, there's, there's only a few characters here. And if it's going to be that one, if it's going to happen, it's going to be that one. And, and you see it coming and you feel like uh, it would be nice if this movie did something different in this regard. Not because something different is in, does the woman always have to have a romance in the movie? But something different in terms of when there's only a few characters in the movie and the, hands, the handsome one gets together with the pretty one. And just to be clear here, uh, I, I, it's not exclusively because of some kind of uh, social justice reason. I just didn't want to see another page on TV tropes about how the science lady has to get a boyfriend. I'm just uh, story-wise. Like you and me, we're always talking about like loving these ambitious stories, right? It was probably that. Again, I'm not... I'm not like pot committed to this. It's just that it was just another thing. And it just, right, the ending right. felt, it felt, it just, it felt a little bit like the answer is love. And, uh, all right. So wait, so let's, so let's move on to the next item, right? So this, the, the relationship, fine. We, all right. Sure, get a pass. The, next thing get a pass is the, on the, the answer is the ending is love. Which, what, what specific aspect of the ending are you talking about when you get to? You I don't know why I do this show with you. I don't know why I put up with this. I don't know why I sit down and I spend my Tuesday evenings. I could be home eating chicken wings right now. I, I sharpen you like a knife. I help you clarify your, your thinking. That's is why. that what it is? And That's I walk right. across the rice paper. Mm-hmm. Mm. So so yeah. So the ending. So like the answer is love. Blah blah. blah. What what specific? thing that you think that was like there's lots of turns out so you have to nail it down tell me which one on first viewing which one felt like because i totally know the interstellar feeling we've talked about this before right yeah uh, but which specific plot element in arrival well, maybe it was just it, it, it did smell like interstellar to me that that's a big that's a big part of it um i guess i feel like and you always yell at me for using the wrong terms and you know shame on you but like <sighs> I don't think you've ever identified a movie as a hard sci-fi movie. You always come up with some reason why it's not that. So I don't know what kind of science fiction this is in your special lexicon. Contact is a hard sci-fi movie. Okay. I 
thought, so let me just take a step back, if I may. So first, through, through the first two acts, utterly, utterly assured, uh, did, did, did something that's like seemingly that just feels impossible, which is that it was so, the plot was so relatively fast paced, but took its time to luxuriate over certain moments in a way that was utterly assured. I keep using that word, but I don't think anything in this movie happened as a mistake or as a lucky break. I think this was a very, very well plotted movie. I don't know if you agree with this, but I just feel like just there's so it's got a, it's almost like a, obviously a clear antecedent is Kubrick where, you know, uh, obviously faster paced than 2001 in a lot of ways, probably, but it, the, the plot was really moving along at quite a clip. You think about where you start that movie at and how long it takes you to get to her, like getting the shot and being in the suit. Like that was actually pretty quick. They moved through that with, with a pace. And I love that. All of that. It's just all through that. And then all through the interactions, the amazing through the second act, the incredible compression of the storytelling where like, you know, you know, it's the classic thing. There's probably, I'm sure Joe Steele could give me a name for this, but the first time you see something that's going to happen, it's almost like Groundhog Day. The first time you see something that's going to happen lots of times, you get the most extreme version. The next time you see it, it's shorter. And eventually you can abbreviate this down to almost a montage to give the appearance of time. You know what I mean? Each visit over the 18 hours, each visit they go to the ship brilliantly, just so, I I I just loved it. And I don't know uh, why. Did, why am I whining about the love thing? I guess I feel like. I guess I feel like it just it got a little first viewing, and it, again, a lot of these feelings went away on second viewing, and I appreciated a lot of it more. But on the first viewing, it felt like it got a little bit like a big sloppy kiss, and then there's going to going to reveal all of its wonders to you. Also, I think it didn't fully grok exactly what was happening when with the time travel stuff. I got the big switch about what happened in what order, which I thought was very deftly handled. I guess it was just this feeling that I had that the third act went somewhere that the first two acts didn't. I didn't like the way it was going. And because I am actually a horrible nihilist, I ultimately, I wanted something very different to happen at the end of that movie. What did happen the second time I ended up really liking, and I thought it was extremely thought-provoking, uh, and the first time it just bugged me. Am I being too unspecific? You're being very unspecific, but I'm kind of, I'm getting the outlines, the the vague, the well, vague outlines. Okay, so I, you know, I, I I'm so I feel so bad about saying anything that if somebody just listens at the wrong point, we're going to spoil this movie. She's discovered that there, uh, and I think you guys specifically talked about the problem with you know calling it superior war for whatever, but for whatever reasons, what she what she figures out at length. And I guess, you know, cobbling all this stuff together with different groups. And anyway, she eventually figures out that there's something special about this language. She's been and she's been having these strange, like sort of side effects by exposure to this language. And check me on this. But first of all, this language is not a spoken language. It's a purely visual language. And second of all, exposure to this language does something to the way that you think and perceive. Is that right? Yeah. It isn't just a special gift she got because reasons it was there was something about this language that virally sort of transmitted this unstuck in time thing to her yeah so i i'm sure i'm sure it's i'm not sure because it's a short story but maybe it is better explained in the source material but in the movie you a little bit of hand wavy you only get a little bit you get the sapir wharf whatever thing um and then you get a couple of notes later 
and you're supposed to put two and two together and figure it out. And I I, mm-hmm. I did an episode of The Incomparable about this. We can put it in the show notes if you want to hear, it's a good episode. hear us mm-hmm. talk about it some more. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, I know we're talking about your complaints, but for me, this is the, uh, what is it, the keystone in the arch, you know, that was yanked out that makes this whole thing fall apart for me. Um, mm-hmm. Because... You think they could have done without it? No, like, well, so there's there's the aspects of the, of the movie that we all talked about, and I, lo- I love the fact that it's a sci-fi movie. I love the fact that it takes itself seriously. I love that it is shot in an unconventional way. It's shot more like an arty movie about, like, personal relationships, right? But it's about, you know, aliens and spaceships, which I love. I just It's great. Um, mm-hmm. But in the end, this is a story movie um, that there's a plot, right? And the plot is important. And it's not, it's not a turns-out movie so much, although it has a little bit of that in it, but it's a story movie, right? And so... The central yeah. mystery of the movie: uh, What's the deal with these aliens? Right. That's that's what, the, why why are they why are they here? Yeah, exactly. What's the deal with the aliens? Right. And they do all sorts of mysterious things, and they're trying to figure out the language. And, we want, and eventually, we want to know what are they saying? Why are they here? What are they trying to like? That's the story. That's the movie. Right. And so you better have a damn good answer to the question, the main central question in the movie. Like, it's not a minor point. It's not like, well, you know, whatever. I just loved everything else about the movie. I don't care. The, explanation the minor question being why they're there. Doesn't make so damn. Yeah. Like, what is, what's the deal with the aliens? What are they trying and to they say? And they just toss that off with, we want to do you a favor because we need you to do us a favor. Right. No, no. But, but, the, but what is the favor? The favor hinges on this entire thing that you just said. That <sighs> right. they come here and. Yeah. Are we going to hold their weed for them? Or like, what are we right, doing? I'm, I'm totally on board with the aliens coming. And for whatever convoluted time travel, whatever reasons. Um, that they have to give us something because they're obviously in advanced. They're you know they're adv- more advanced than we are. They have spaceships and they're floating and stuff, right? Whatever. Like, and obviously they have things that they could either teach us or give us or both that could be important. And I don't really care that much about. Oh, they said they have to be here because they live unstuck in time, and then we're going to help them. Like whatever. I'm fine. That's all. You can make up any explanation for that. It's what they give us like that. And it would have been so easy to to MacGuffin this or just say, like, they give us the thing or whatever. But what they decided they gave us and they wanted to, they wanted to nail down because it's so central to this movie is that by teaching this language, now we are able to perceive time as a continuum instead of a series of events, one following the other, right? That, that we can see the past and the future and the present just like they uh-huh. can because we learn their language. And the only thing this thing hangs its hat on is some earthbound research that is vaguely related to the the language you learn affects the way you think well of course the language you learn affects the way you think right but not so you can perceive time all at once like that's that's a hell of a leap it's like if we teach you a different language now you can fly no no you can't you have to explain how are you flying because you know a different language and you think a different thinking this is the whole thing with like everything having to do with telekinetics and all sorts of brain stuff where it's all it's all human wish fulfillment that because we have this internal, you know, world of the mind that that uh, it, it is that it defines reality, right? And so it's like if I just learn to think in a different way, I can tell the future. Nope, nope, that's not how it works, <laughs> right? And that is the cornerstone of this movie. And everything yeah. up to that point was not. I mean, first of all, it's not even good, you know, non-hard sci-fi. That's just like you could you could even. I mean, there's two there's two changes you could make that would be, seems like it would be pretty simple. One is we're just giving you this gift. Because everybody should have this. 
in the same way that you would want to give somebody clean water. That basically they're like the some uh, interstellar UN that's coming in to give us something that we're, we're so uh, blighted. Again, I don't care what what the reason is giving. I want to see what they're giving. That's the well, problem. and that's the second part. And yeah, and then and then the second part could be as simple as there's an artificial constraint in human thinking that it's like a like when you get a when you rent a U-Haul truck and there's a governor that will only let you you know accelerate up to 55 miles per hour. What if there's some equivalent of that in the human mind? This sounds like Scientology. That's, an, that's like, another humans only use ten percent of their brain BS crap. Well, I mean, but that that's a kind of that's a brand of hand wavium I could enjoy. Something that's a little bit more than this. But no, you're you're saying it's even worse. Yeah, than if that. if I wanted to if I wanted to make this work, here's how I would have to do it. They would have to to get back to a topic of a past show, they would have to come and reveal to us that we're living in a simulation and tell us how to hack the simulation, basically. Like, and it would have to be something where they either, where they either all <laughs> again with the simulation, yeah, where they would either. I mean, I would be fine if they altered, if they altered our brains, if they just yeah. move molecules around in our brains in a way that let us see the simulation. Because the only way you could, you can, you know, like our understanding of how the universe works is there's no change in thinking, there's no idea you can have that lets you see the future, the past, and the present all at the same time. They're, that's not how brains work. They're not magic. It's a bunch of fatty molecules sitting inside a bone bowl. Like, that's not how... <laughs> it's not magic. I know it seems like it's magic, and I know it seems uh, like you can move yeah. things with your mind because you really want them to move, but you can't. You can't. There's nothing your brain can do to move things, right? As far as we know, within the current bounds of... And they could teach us that, hey, guess what? Your conception of the universe is totally wrong, and let me explain to you how physics actually works. They could, by all means, teach us that, but them teaching us their language is not going to be teaching us that. She doesn't learn all the new rules for physics that they can teach us. Like, how do you get your ship to float like that? Well, let me tell you. We know more about the way the world... Whether it's a simulation or not, that's something they could give. They could come, and over many, many years, teach us everything they know about the nature of the universe that we obviously don't know yet. And maybe... Well, and then also the aliens, clearly a priori, have always known how will this will turn out. Right. I mean, th- th- just the whole time right? travel. That, the, whole, the whole reason any sci-fi time step travel, always you get yourself painted into a corner with that. Or whatever, but, but yeah, but like, the Again, thing that they <laughs> give us... in another episode. <laughs> yeah, the thing that they give us is nonsensical. Because, you know, and especially, it would have been... It's, it's made worse by them referencing the... the I can't... I always pronounce it's it wrong. Yeah, so it make, it's made worse by referencing that. Because that is such a... A pale shadow of like uh, learn learn our language is like oh my goodness the order you renounce an adjective of difference I can see the future like that's basically what they have here and that I found infuriating as someone who was enjoying what I thought was a fairly coherent movie up until that point and especially since it's like there's no there's no reason for it because you can have aliens come and motivate them however you want but what they give you has to be like like that's the whole thing like why are they here what is what's the deal and if once it's revealed that they're here to give humanity something i want it to be something cool not like oh now i dream in french <laughs> no it's not <laughs> it was that was maddening right okay so that yeah that's the plot yeah. thing and there's so much else good about this movie that i i you know i still recommend it and i still think you should watch it but for me personally i found that bothersome. other people they don't bother by it at all this episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can enter the offer code DIFFS at checkout, and that'll get you 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace, because Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and so much more. You might want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog or, heck, even a podcast. It can be done all with Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform 
lets you do just that. There's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about, and there are no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has it all covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. And they let you quickly and easily get a unique domain name for your site. They make this so simple. And all of those award-winning templates are just beautifully designed for you to use and to show off your great ideas. I have been a Squarespace user and fan for I don't even know how many years now. I've used it for blogs. I've used it for projects. And I, uh, I currently use it for the Roderick on the Line podcast. That is all hosted stem to stern with Squarespace. And it's just been terrific for us. Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, please use the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, and that'll get you 10% off your first purchase, and it will show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. The second part, and I want to hear what you think of this, and I already mentioned it on the incomparable, is the the, the final decision in the movie. Like eventually, yeah. to reveal that you know she knows that like well, we're having all like, these, how much how much of an asshole is she? Yeah, exactly. Like so, she she knows that she's going to have a daughter who's going to die of a terrible disease because the whole you know At she a can rel- see past, relatively young age. Yeah, she can see past, present, and future all at the same time. The girl's going to live like you know ten or twelve or something and die. She knows that's going to happen because of this gift that they've given her. This you know, magic, and she knows magic she gift. will procrastinate telling the father about it apparently right now forget about forget about telling the father just i mean the the only just the birth just the the birth part is the hang up the the only way i think the the emotional payoff of this movie works assuming you're okay with all the other stuff that i was just complaining about is if you believe that she has a choice or at least thinks that she has a choice or it feels like she has a choice because if she doesn't have a choice and if everything is Hmm. mechanical and deterministic then it's like well then who cares but this movie totally Hmm. tries to sell you on the idea of she makes a decision even though I know how this is going to turn out, even though I know that if I get together with Hawkeye and we get married and we have a baby, and I know that if, if I do all those things, that that baby is going to live for 10 or 12 years and then die, right? Even though I know that, I have a choice. I could not marry him. I could marry him and decide not to have children. We can adopt a child, blah, 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 blah. And seeing her make the choice seeing her decide to to sort of go through with it anyway even though she knows how it's going to end is is the big emotional payoff of the movie that you're supposed to you know understand this this character's terrible choice like how can she not how can she sacrifice all the good times that they keep showing you even though she knows it's going to end badly you have to believe that she has a choice because if she has no choice then she's not making that she's not you know she's not choosing love or whatever Hmm. you want to do right so given that we have to believe that she's having choice I think she made the wrong choice. And I guess that's part of the movie. Like, you don't have to agree with the characters, and you don't have to think it was great. But I think... To, yeah. to have to have chosen, knowing what was in store... There's, like, at least two parts to this that are really big. Uh, but you're saying... So just so I understand your point before I try to unravel it. You're saying you you think she had the ability to decide on some level whether this is something that she should do. And that if if she didn't, you're basically saying like she's she's kind of a monster if she if she knew 
Yeah, think yeah. I, th- she, I think it's clear that she did know, and they don't really establish the time travel rules. Like, you know, can you change the future, or is it like no matter what you do, you're going to end up marrying Hawkeye and having this exact baby? Like, because if because if that's the case, there is no emotional payoff of her like choosing love or whatever and deciding to go through with it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So it has to be that she she has the realization along with the audience. Oh my goodness. Uh, these visions I've been having are of my future child. And audience, by the way, you thought they were of my past child, but actually they are of my future child. Big twist. That right? was great. Pretty uh, great. Yeah, that was a great reveal. Like, it's a great moment in the movie. Um, you have to believe that now she's faced with a terrible choice. Should I go through with it? Should I Should I marry Hawkeye? Should I, if I do marry him, should I have a baby, even though I know how it's going to come out? And and you see in the movie what she chooses to do. And she, she has, chooses the whole thing of, like, not, not a... Not looping in Hawkeye on it until later, which is definitely the bad choice. But I, I'm going back to the root decision of if you have a choice, if you could choose not to have a baby or not to have a baby with him, um, should you have done that? And I think it is ridiculous for her to choose to have the baby. Incredibly, this is hard. incredibly this is... misguided, right? Wow, I really disagree. I know. I think. I think most people do. That's why it's pitched. That's why the movie is pitched as a happy ending, where the audience is supposed to to empathize with her decision. I just think she's a monster. The problem is my brain is not up to the task at this moment of completely walking the path that I need to walk down the determinism aspects of this. But what I what I am prepared to do is discuss whether she's a monster. And I'm very tempted to ask you something that we can cut out of the show. Both of your kids are younger than her daughter, right? Mm-hmm. God forbid, if something happened to them at that age, would you regret having had them? It's different. It's, uh, totally unrelated question. Un- uh, irrelevant. Irrelevant question. Be- because, you don't, because you don't have the time thing? The only question is, if you knew before you even got married or got into a relationship that if this person... If you get into a relationship with them and you have a child that 100% guaranteed you're going to have this child and it's going to die at this age. If yeah. you knew that, would you go through with it and say, I am going to marry you. And you know what? Now that we're married, I want to have a child. Even though I know with 100% certainty that this yeah. as yet unconceived <laughs> child is going to die horribly. And I'm going to feel bad and the kid's going to feel bad. Should I go yeah. through with it? Because Again, it's a sci-fi fantasy scenario, right? It's not, it is not relatable to any other situation of like, well... You know, what if it happens, or what if you find out after you're pregnant that the kid's going to die? None of those are in this movie. Those questions mm-hmm. are not relevant, and I feel like people bring them out to try to relate to the question, but that's not the question the movie's asking. It's not all about, what if you got pregnant and find out your kid had some birthday? That's not what the movie is asking. The movie is asking, before you even had your first kiss with the future husband of your, uh, your future father of your child, before even that, right? And you knew how it was going to turn out, would you go through And the only reason you would go through with it anyway is because... You derive joy from the child's short life, and the child would have joy for the the 10 years that she's on Earth, right? Mm -hmm. But the child's joy is irrelevant, because if you never conceive the child, it's like all the other children you didn't conceive when you were, from the time you were 13 years old to the time you are 47, all those kids that you didn't conceive, you had no problem not giving them joy in their life, right? So that, I think... And this is peculiar to her ability, uh, the fact Obviously, that she knows right? it's going to happen. But I'm saying, like, the, the argument yeah. for the joy of the child, like, that you deprive the child of his life, what about every other freaking egg that passed through your body and was not fertilized? Do you feel like you're depriving those of it? No, because they were never conceived, right? 
So this right. is that's fine. And then all it comes down to is your joy that you hmm. you have these future visions and you say, but I'll never get to experience this beautiful child of mine. And that's right. You won't get to experience this beautiful child of, my, of yours. You will be subtracting that joy from your life because why why bring something into being that you know with 100% certainty because you can tell the freaking future is going to die horribly at a young age. And the only reason you would do it are for selfish reasons. And so I think she's hmm. a monster. Very interesting. What age would the child, uh, assuming that the course of the illness takes the same amount of time at any age, what age is the minimal age at which that person dies for her to not be a monster? If she lived to 80, would it be okay? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, because, so, because, because if you, you know, like there is, there is a, what, what is the pain, what is the pain and suffering of dying before you've lived a full life? Like before, mm-hmm. like if you die, like before, before all of the, the 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 milestones and the joys that you can have in life, if, if you die before puberty, if you die before getting into your first relationship, if you die, if you want to have kids, if you die before you were able to conceive, like there's the notion of a full life that you've had the opportunity to do everything that humans yeah, are going to yeah, do, yeah. and you reach a certain age and you die. That's what happens to all of us. We all do that. Everyone wants to have a full life, right? Even if you die horribly, at, at you know at sixty seven of a heart attack in front of all your whole family. You can feel like, well, you had a chance to do everything that a human can do, and that is a full life. Dying when you're 10 or 11 is not a full life. She's not that young. She's look pretty she's young. Like six, she's like 15, 16. Yeah, anyway, it's still not a full life. Obviously not a full life. I don't know. I mean, I, I, my problem is I keep getting stuck with my dumb brain that I wish could function better and hold more thoughts at one time. But, but I'm getting hung up on trying to logically look at what happened in this movie so there's the one part of me that thinks i honestly think as i as i sit here now and i should watch this again to have this opinion as i sit here now i think she didn't have any choice except to live life the way that she lived it yeah again if that's the case if, if she really did have no choice like then yeah. then then i feel like it lessens the emotional impact of because the audience is like oh now that you know this is the case are you going to go through with it anyway that's the whole deal like to the end of the movie is like and in the end she does go through with it and guess what the reason how does reason- she not retroactively get this skill why is it there's no well, future it, or yeah, past i know anymore, so- that's the whole problem with time travel unless you really nail down oh, no i'm not i'm rules. not i didn't read this on slate i mean i'm just thinking this right now am i am i wrong to wonder about like why it seems like there's no actual past in any sense anymore well that's what you have if you're going to have a time travel movie or story you have to pick a set of rules no matter how nonsensical they are and you have to nail them down so the audience understands how the how the plot stakes work like you have to you have to know what's at stake what what is in play like no matter how absurd your rules are for dealing with paradoxes whether it's multiple timelines or from this point forward type of thing or you know the back to the future blackboard things and it's like you have to set them down because otherwise you get questions like here it's like well wait a second if she gets this ability didn't she kind of sort of always have this ability? And what is the actual past? Right. And, uh, you know, like, how, how does that even work? How, how does it work where at some point you become unstuck from time and now time well, and is a flat circle for you? Uh, there's so many, oh God, there's so many examples of little bits of this, though, that are really kind of pulling at my brain. So, like, for example, the one I keep coming back to is, like, so assuming that she has agency in deciding how her future goes. She had the agency to decide to have a child she had the agency to decide to have a child knowing that what happened would happen. But then you get to stuff like, how did she decide what day to tell Hawkeye? Because it seemed like she was really probably like sort of emotionally, I, maybe I'm projecting, I would be procrastinating <laughs> that. We're like, hey, just so you know, by the way, and, and I guess he doesn't know that she otherwise knows everything about time. 
they don't talk a lot, I guess. But like, does he not know that she has this skill? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, so, again, with all the time travel stuff, the the, the <laughs> I mean, that's going to ruin a lot of Christmas and birthdays. Yeah, like the idea. <laughs> you have always given me this bouquet. <laughs> every, everything that I just described of like, you know, for a fact that if you have this child, it's going to die in this way. Even that makes no sense from like a, a from our understanding of time type of thing because hmm. even if she has a vision of the future, once she knows what's going to happen in the future, presumably that would change her actions, thus negating the vision she just had. Because if you oh change, god, yes, you're right. It gets oh my god, it gets so like like I hadn't in, thought about. In that. other words, there's almost no way that you can both uh. know your future and then walk that path. Like you not only is the future not the... inevitable, but that once you know it, it's basically impossible right. for you to ever play it out because when you saw the future, it's you know unless you do the whole paradox thing of like, look, you see the yeah, future, and no matter what is, you is it... do, it's like the yeah. you know the X Files episode. Were you an X Files fan? No, uh, no, no. Oh, anyway, there's, there's a couple of good X Files episodes about that. But like, no, I know, I know, I know. I should yeah. do it. But anyway, that, like those, those are the, those are two of the the, the main ones. Is like basically. No matter what you do, everything that's happened has already happened. There's no way around it. And no matter how you dodge and weave. And the other one is like, what if someone could literally show you something that's going to happen in the future? But then as soon as you know that, there's no way you can get to that endpoint Because, you know, anything, anything changes and you're not going to get to that endpoint. Like, well, there's, is there, there must be a name for this. But I mean, I feel like that there's two basic kinds of time travel media. There's there's the kind that I feel like is the kind that I like, which is it always had to turn out this way, and that's because I know you don't, but I like stuff like Predestination. I think it's a, a yeah, actually Predestination a great was, film. was fine. I, you know, like it, I think it's it, the it, problem. It, it defined his rules better than this movie, anyway. Well, but like that's a movie where there are some twist em ups, as Stuart would say. Like in the case of that movie, um, and I don't want to I don't want to spoil this movie, but I will just say that. Things that you figure out fairly early in this movie, you have no idea. Like, I'm not gonna say anymore. Yeah, about they do it. the but double, triple, quadruple turns out. Like, well, they, they, they did. They, they, they did the it. ultimate. They did the ultimate turns yeah. out. But in that case, it works. It's a Swiss clock in the sense of like, oh yeah, it all had to happen this way. Yes, bootstrap paradox, but this all had to happen this way. But then you've got the other kind. So that's the kind. I don't know what you call that kind. Then you got the other kind where I can travel to the past or the future. I've got a time machine. And maybe that sends out a, like a multiverse of different paths. I mean, isn't that aren't there like two main ways? And like you pick one of those as yeah, your most yeah, primer. Mo- primer would be the first one, right? But most most movies want to do the thing where you can go back to the past, fiddle with one or two things, then then come right back to where you left from, and only a few minor things are off. <sighs> that makes me completely insane. Right, and but that's but that you need that for storytelling purposes. Almost every Hollywood movie and sci-fi story does time travel. Like, because that's how, that's how the human mind wants it to work. I just want to go back and change that one thing. I, and, and there is literally nothing you can do in the past that will not ripple out and have just incredible, massive effects, especially if you're going back to do something that is presumably related to your life. You want but to even, prevent Kennedy from getting assassinated, for example. <laughs> but even if you're not, like, there's almost nothing you can go back in time to the 60s and do that doesn't have, like, a huge chance of you coming back to, like, a, 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 a nuclear holocaust, right? <laughs> like, just, I, feel like, I feel like you have a practical window of something like... I'm just going to, I'm going to give you a day. You got one day. You could go back as far as one day without screwing up the entire universe. Maybe no way. Could you go back? You you go back one day. You're still killing people that who didn't die before. Like one day. Because like, I'm going to get back to the car accident thing. Like if you give your wife a kiss on the cheek, uh, Uh, why do you do this? Don't do this. Or you don't, uh, 
you are uh, ch- determining the life or death situation of Ugh, tons of people who w- may not have been going through their intersection. It's like it's like a two second window for you know, I know, car I know. Stop, right? Ugh, stop. And, and so there's like, you know, I'm not saying you're guaranteed. <laughs> neither answer, it, and the best part is neither answer is right. Yeah. At, because we don't have time travel, we don't know how this crap works. And my, my <laughs> favorite donkeys behind door number three all the way yeah, down. <laughs> my, my favorite version of time travel, which rarely movies do, occasionally uh, books do, but it's really difficult to do, is it would it has to be imperceptible to everyone involved, in, including the time traveler. You know what I mean? Because say that again. Uh, the, the the consequences of time travel have to be imperceptible to everybody involved, including the time traveler. In other words. If you are able to, you know, in a hard sci-fi kind of way, uh, go back in time and change how things turned out, mm-hmm. there would be no way for you to for you to understand that you have succeeded. You know what I mean? Like that that if you mm-hmm. change the way things turned out, as far as you're concerned, they will have always turned out that way, and you will feel like you have failed. Because you would have gone back in time to make like the Cubs. Is this win like the World a Series. like a Day of the Doctor, Day of the Doctor type situation? No, because you're because you're not outside the system. You're in the system, and if you actually are to change the cause and effect relationship through some high energy physics kind of way, it would also change the series of events that led to your current brain state to be different than it is. And, and that's you, why that's you why would, you would either be, can't remember you, it. You would either not think that you time traveled at all, and you would just run that loop and just be back to where you and like would be totally imperceptible, or you yeah. would think you would fail. I don't think you think you would fail because how could you have the memory of trying to do the thing that you it, like? That's time travel. My favorite time travel movies and the, uh, our stories are the ones where every time anyone messes with time, the story just continues from that new state with everyone else unaware that there's ever been any other state. And it could be happening to us constantly because you wouldn't know because that's how time works because as far as, you know, the state of everything is, it's derived from the previous states and if you oh, try God. to change the previous states, you'll just end up in a new one. But for everyone who traveled that path, nothing changed. It's always, This is the way it's always been for everybody involved. And so it's completely imperceptible and it's really hard yeah. to do in movies. And you could probably do it by just showing similar scenes over and over with the people not realizing things are different, but it's it's like really hard to do anything plot-wise in a movie. It's much easier to do the thing where, like, I'm going to go back and, you know, hide the sports almanac and make bets and then come forward and I'll be rich because I buried money in, you know, like, you know what I mean? That, that's mm-hmm. the way we want it to work. And that makes for good storytelling. Like, that's that's probably the best way to go. This one, this movie has challenges because it spends a long time doing a bunch of other stuff and then drops on us at the end, complete awareness of past, present, and future simultaneously, doesn't explain what they consider the rules in terms of, you know, can she change how this is going to turn out or does the fact that she knows about it now guarantee that she will never have a daughter who dies? Uh, right. Because it, you know, it's, it almost seems like it would because it's like, go try to have that exact daughter. Like, you don't know, you know which egg to fertilize. Like, you don't even, you don't know what you ate for breakfast that day and how it will affect how, you know, like just so many things. Well, like, it's just, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It's too late for me to really think this really clearly, but it's also a little bit like um, Cassandra or Dr. Manhattan, right? Like Dr. Manhattan, he sort of, He's kind of unstuck in time. He doesn't have a perception really of time in the way that um, that he did in his human times. But like he knows that he knows that at least before the uh, whatever the spectral crystals or whatever they are screw up is what's it called the tachyons, right? Yeah, tachyons. That's it. Before the tachyons screw him up, I mean, he is just this sort of like uh, sad sack character who like he seems. Like, he knows everything that's going to happen, right? Dr. Manhattan knows everything that's going to happen. Am I remembering that right? I'm. You are the, X, the X-Men. You are the Watchmen expert, not me. 
Yeah, yeah. Who watches me is the question, mm-hmm. all right? Um, my brain is bending. Um, uh, what are my other questions for you? So, look, let's talk about the twist a little bit, just because oh, we should go soon. Probably. The, um, because what I want to explore about me, and I know I've done a crap job explaining why I didn't like it the first time. I'm going to stick with my, my, my previous statement to the gentleman, which is it smelled like Interstellar. And it felt like a, it felt like a relative cop out to a movie whose first two acts were so mind blowingly great. Uh, I, I rescind that mostly because we watched it. I watched it a, uh, I find, I guess it was technically a third time, a third time when I watched it with my family. And, uh, I uh no, you know, you know what? It was the second time. The second time was when it yeah, it really it hit me. I got it. I thought it was thought provoking here of talking about the third act. My feeling about that changed. I was still a little bit misty watercolored, bummed out about parts of how it was executed, but I was not as bummed about Jeremy Renner. And I walked away thinking about a lot of the things that we have not settled tonight which is a really good sign. When I when that movie ends, you know, and I've I've gone through the twist and the twist and the twist, uh I ended up feeling it was very satisfying and it has certainly been very very thought provoking, which is two thumbs up for me. Yeah, I think the du- what are all the twists. Did I get all the twists? Did I get them all? Yeah. I, I think the double the double whammy for me of the 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 nerd pickiness about the the absurdity of the uh the gift that they're giving. Right, not the reason. There's, for it, there's the, the the first the first one of the first twists is that she what we've been seeing her experiencing is the effects of this language getting its hooks into her. Where now she we're, she we're seeing things that look like flashbacks. Well, they do, seeing, I mean they do the thing where the audience sees the future as the past for much of the movie, and it's not clear that what we're seeing is through her eyes, but it fits with the whole narrative right. that once she gets this gift that past, present, and future don't have the same relationship. So it's like, how could we have seen right. those scenes at the beginning of the movie if she hadn't yet had the gift? What do you mean she hadn't yet had it? That's a linear conception of time, and if you don't con- conceive of time that way, uh, you know, it, like, I think that all that all works. Um, that's that twist. It's like, it's like saying this spot on a circle happened, uh, you know, two inches earlier than this other spot on the circle. Yeah. Or, <laughs> it doesn't really make or, sense. Yeah, or an extra-dimensional type of way where, you know, where time is just... But they set up, they clearly, they clearly set it up to be that way. They did not... T- do much you guys talked about this on the incomparable so we won't beat it to death but they were very canny about like for example not making her look older obviously in this flashbacks mm-hmm. but it doesn't it, it wasn't it wasn't distracting or anything so like i guess i feel like twist the one of the first twists was the that clearly there was something that was special about this language another was then what figuring out that uh, the Jeremy uh, Renner, uh, you know, the the fact that he is part of her future and an important part, yes. and figuring out why why is the father out of the picture? Exactly, exactly. Ask your father that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, that was a good one. The whole thing with the Chinese, what general? Yeah, I'm still not entirely sure how I feel about that. On the one hand, I have to really, really think hard about. I mean, have you? Am I dumb, or or is their conversation a little bit of a mind bender? Uh, I mean, I'm also isn't, right, isn't there a little bit of bootstrap, a little bit of bootstrap? Oh, it's paradox to, totally bootstrap paradox. Like, okay, that's, so that's, that's not that's just the me. Whole, it's very hard to do a time travel movie without a bootstrap paradox in it. Like, so people, she, people love that stuff. Her, her talking to him at the fancy dress ball is the result and the instantiating incident 
in getting things yeah, resolved. Yeah, but, but it's not. Like, there is no, like, again, that relationship of, like, how can it be the result? Like, you can resolve it. But no, no, no. For me, for me as the as the viewer, though, he is, this is both, what, when she, when he's saying what she told me, mm-hmm. my, you know, my life, wife's last words, like, it, it's the ultimate mind-bender time travel thing because this is both the cause and the result. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that, and the that makes sense if you, if you are divorced from cause and effect because time is all uh, simultaneous. But do, 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 you, do you acknowledge that that's a mind bender? Yeah, yeah, I know. But, like, again, bootstrap paradox and that type of thing, like, people love that in movies. And I'm willing to, like, here's the, here's the deal. They have to resolve the situation with the ships. Like, they come here, they're given a gift, but, you know, like, they, they spent the whole movie building up this whole tension of, like, what are the humans going to do with the things and that people want to attack them and the whole, you know, bomb blowing up. Like, they have to resolve that. Plot-wise in the movie, they have to be like, how does this how does this resolve and you can resolve it in a whole bunch of different ways i mean it could be just like that she reveals her magic time travel power and everyone's like oh you know i get it now blah blah blah. but they decide to resolve it by saying like she will be the hero of the story and stop the aggression by using her power essentially to say i past present and future no longer have any linear relationship to me and that's why i can do this thing that you just described where this is both the cause and the effect and having that ability to people who do, if you have that ability and other people don't you can you can probably impress them and convince them to do pretty much anything because it is a big you know it's a it's a big ace up your sleeve uh and so she does and that's to resolve that situation and so it's kind of a little bit out of nowhere it's like who's who is this chinese journal do we even care we don't really see him for most of the time her reaction is so wonderfully peculiar because again i keep coming back to i don't want to beat this to death but i keep coming back to well it seems like once you got the virus for this that everything would be different so how is she like is she learning about this now she's participating in this I mean, now it, it, that's one of the things i like about the movie is that it try i mean not to the degree that i was talking about where time travel would have to be imperceptible but it is disorienting in the way that it shows this in the same way that it would be disorienting to someone who just recently got the ability to perceive time in this way like it's disorienting to us and it's disorienting to her sure. and it doesn't it doesn't make linear sense to us that's why it's hard to follow and her her expression throughout it and her dawning realization it it doesn't make linear sense and i think that's 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 well handled and that's why that's part of the movie is confusing but i think appropriately so i got to pick for saddest line in the movie i've, I've only seen the, i think i've only seen this once so I, I i don't know if i'll be able to pick out this line but go for it abbot is death process what a great line. Uh, oh, yeah. So that... God, that was so that, well that, done. That's a, one of the... Getting back to the question we just talked about before, uh, determinism versus... like He would have known. Happen, Costello right? would have known all along that Abbott dies. Right. Um, and not just that, but Abbott would have known that Abbott was going to And then how die. would that not affect your relationship? Right. So like, I would say, these like, two squid guys. Like, why, ah! why would Abbott choose... If there, if there is a choice to change the future as i think we are as the audience led to believe with the, her decision i think you're losing your case here buddy i think everything had to happen the way it happened but then but then there's no there's no choice for her to because they totally i don't lean think that's that. that big a deal no, i just they, i don't understand they why totally that's a big lean deal. on that at the end of the movie is because once the audience finds out that is the uh, question am i going to go and they they am i going to hook up with hawkeye because even though i know how it's gonna end am i going to choose to have the child am i going to tell him about it like those questions weigh heavily in the like that's that's the big thing at the end of the movie like i feel yeah. like the whole movie is leaning on that and anyway if if we believe that there's a choice there why is abbott coming to this planet's gonna get blown up he knows he can't blow up. why delay to <laughs> last abbott why wait to the last minute to push him back you know the bomb is there the whole freaking time no one needs to get hurt like you can you could have addressed that situation 
way earlier because you knew it was going to happen. Unless you think it's important for you to die to convince people to help you, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't in the movie. Like, they didn't, it's not as if they said, oh, uh, things were going to happen this way, but now that Abbott died, things are going to happen a different way because we feel bad. Nope. He's just like, mm-hmm. died for no reason. But because, and here's the thing, there's a little bit of a cheat. At that point in the movie, we don't know the deal with the whole unstuck from time business. So right. it reads as an, a tragic plot development, which is exactly how it should read, and it works very well. But then when we get to the time thing, you're like, wait a second. Abbott was signing up for this? Like, yeah, I'm going to wait till the last minute yeah. and die. Because, uh, I mean, Abbott like has always event. signed up for this, right? I mean, that's 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 how you would have to be that way. You know, I'm well, here to make a dor- dor- Dormammu or whatever. I'm here to make a deal. Like, it's it has to be this uh, way. Well, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't think that fits. Like, there's no, consi- there's no consistent time travel rule set that, that makes this movie work dramatically all the way through. There's, there are time mm. travel rule sets that make the things work in the moment, but overall, I feel like there's no set of rules you can apply that don't uh, nullify the uh, the the drama of uh, one or more scenes. Hmm. I don't have too much of a dog in the fight, but I disagree with you on so much of this. I don't. I. I so you don't think like I do. I, That's I the problem. Don't... You need to learn my language, and then you can suddenly fly and also think like mm. I do. I'm holding up a coffee stain right now. You can hold up a coffee stain. What is the stain on? Oh, that's the yes. I get it. Okay. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't do that uh, in the movie. <laughs> At some point, hold up a coffee stain. Right. Uh, like They'd be going through their papers with the alien writing and be like, no, this is just a coffee stain. Get this out of here. I'm in. <laughs> they cracked the encryption. Yeah, I did like the you know the the, uh, the imagery of the other countries going offline with the big red. Like They right. paid a bunch of... That's uh, what happens. They paid a that's bunch of all- experience designers <laughs> uh, a lot of money to design... The the uh, if they if they do disconnect us, can we get like a sort of a, a nice theme, really big red graphic, and build that into the software, and then we'll, we'll run through a yeah. beta test with it, and then so when the dramatic scene happens, it'll be very well designed. They could have used that today with the S three outage, you know. Yeah, be nice. They, be nice me, to have some, and, uh, and instead, they couldn't even get the proper image for things are broken because that was stored itself stored in S three. I don't want to talk about time Top, travel. Too topical. Too topical. Oh my god. S three chicken podcast. What is S <laughs> three? Is Grandpa. that something that our ape overlords made <laughs> when people are listening to this in the future? When, when apes I ruined rule? the chicken podcast again. Oh, no. When apes rule, yes. 